Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Complex, providing young people with the knowledge, the tools they need to stay safe on the road. Go down to your child's school and teachers have tattoos and piercings in the bank. Anywhere. Restaurants are not making vast profits. Pay our suppliers, staff, and we pay our bills. And there's very little left out of that. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Showers of hail? In that? Doesn't look like it, but you'd never know. Good morning. 29th of February. Leap day. I tell you, I've been trying to figure out there's 101 articles in the papers and on all sorts of different search engines as to why we have the 29th of February, one year and four And actually, I read one this morning that just explains and proves me right again that spring starts tomorrow, the 1st of March, and not the 1st of February, as some people were taught in school. I'll prove it later. I'll actually use Leap Day to prove that spring starts tomorrow. Oh, I love this. I love this. We'll do that later in the morning. But to, to far more serious matters first, and we had yet another death on the roads in the last few days, and we'll talk about that one a little bit later. Gorgeous little 10-year-old boy. His picture is all over this morning's newspapers. His name was Dylan Cody Coleman, seriously injured last week and died in hospital yesterday in Dublin. I'll come to that. I'll also come to a suggestion from the European Union that maybe now us drivers should have far more frequent medical tests to make sure we're still fit to sit behind the wheel of the car. They suggest that every 15 years or so, a driver should have a medical. We'll look into that a little bit later. But I mentioned this yesterday morning to you, and I said that questions were still being asked about exactly what happened on the night of February 11th. I was talking about the death of Sheila Dunn, 54-year-old special needs assistant from Glanmire, a friend for many years to both myself and Fergal Barry. So this is a story that's quite close to our hearts. Sheila died uh, when the car in which she was travelling crashed on the night of February 11th. It was a Sunday night up near Sarsfields Court Hospital. She was pronounced dead in hospital 
the following Tuesday at CUH. And it is fair to say that over the weeks since that tragedy, questions have arisen about the events surrounding the crash. One needs to be extremely careful in discussing those questions. But yesterday they began to make the mainstream media. They're in the examiner. Uh, Liz Dunphy has been writing about the questions, Liz, that surround the circumstances of this crash. And they have now opened an incident room at Glenmire Station. Good morning. Good morning and condolences to you and Virgil on Sheila's tragic loss. And of course, condolences to her family and friends who yeah, must all be just going through a terrible time at the moment. It's, it's still so recent that she died. I think her funeral was just last week. So yeah, just yeah, condolences to everyone. Yeah. The questions that have arisen have caused Gadi to set up an incident room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically, um, Sheila Dunn, as you mentioned, unfortunately was involved in a crash um, back on, on February 11th. And um, when when emergency services arrived at the scene, they found the SUV that she and another woman had been travelling in appeared to have rolled over onto its side, onto the driver's seat side, I believe. And the women were inaccessible at the time to emergency services to, to help them. So they had to, the fire service had to actually cut off the roof of that SUV in order to gain access to them and um, and obviously treat them medically and, and bring them to hospital, where unfortunately, as you said, Sheila died two days later. Um, but um, there, there, Sheila, it was initially believed Sheila was found in the driver's seat side of the vehicle it's understood but um, questions are now being asked as to whether she may have actually been travelling in the passenger seat side at the time so there's no definitive answers on this at the moment you know Gardia are investigating um, the incident they're looking for you know all information um, that may be out there in relation to it and uh, yeah I believe they've set up an incident room in Landmire Garda station and they're combing through hours of CCTV footage um, to try to ascertain what happened to to the late Miss Dunn um, they're also guardian appealing to anyone who was travelling in that area, so around Glanmire, Sarsfield Court area on that Sunday evening, February 11th, to please contact them with any information and particularly if they have any video footage taken in the area, like dash cam footage or any phone footage or anything, to please make it available to guardie so they can do that either at Glanmire Garda station or by contacting the Garda confidential line or contacting any Garda station basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's essentially where it's at. There's no, there's no d- definitive answers. We we don't know what happened, but Gordy are investigating mm-hmm. the the tragedy at the moment. We know that they they asked for and were given quite an amount of CCTV footage from various parts of the journey, and they've been going through that, and that was what led them to begin asking these questions. So nobody really knows where it's going to go, Liz, but but the guards are looking for for more information before I think before they make a decision on what actually happened that night. Yeah, that's that's my understanding of the situation at the moment. I mean, I think the only facts that we absolutely have to go on at the moment are what has been given by Cork City Fire Service, that the car was found on its side and that the roof had to be cut off in order to access the two women. Um, obviously, Miss Dunn was unfortunately very seriously injured um, and was taken to, to, to Cork City or to Cork University Hospital um, that, that evening, but sadly later died. So... 
Yeah, it's it's a very sad case, and her she has two adult children, um, and her her husband died, um, I think three years ago. So right. it's That's it's right. a terrible fact, tragedy for fact, the family. The weekend, the weekend that Sheila met her tragic death, they had been marking Ted's third anniversary, which makes things even so a bit more sad than it could be possibly. Yeah. Okay. Liz. Yeah. So I suppose yeah, just appealing for information from anyone, Guardia, at the moment. Okay, Liz, I will leave it there and thank you very much. Uh, that's Liz Dunphy of The Examiner, um, which is reporting reporting that this incident room now been established at Glenmire Garda Station. The telephone number there is uh, 455, that's 021, 455-6370. The Garda Confidential Line is 1-800-666-111, or indeed any Garda Station. Just leave it there for now. I, I somehow think we haven't heard the end of that story until such time as the guards let us know exactly what happened. We will wonder. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you, Liz. 0818 96 96 Let me stay on the roads and stay, unfortunately, with tragedy. I mentioned it there just at the very top of the programme. This lad, Dylan Cody Coleman, his picture is in all of the newspapers this morning. Um, beautiful lad. He was struck by a van in County Clare last weekend and he died in hospital in Dublin on Wednesday and to add tragedy upon tragedy, his mom Laura had just given birth to a little boy called Shane and didn't he get to meet his little brother before he passed away? They brought the new baby to Dylan's bedside before he passed away. It's, it's just awful, 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 awful. And Dylan is the 36th death on Irish roads since January 1. Now, today is only February 29. 36 people have now died since the start of January. That is well up, well up on 2023, which was well up, unfortunately, on 2022. It comes as MEPs try to decide whether motorists like you and me should have to pass a medical every few years if we want to keep our driving licences. They're saying that people like you, ordinary drivers like you and me, driving our cars, motorbikes, whatever we're driving, that we should have a medical every 15 years. Uh, Professional drivers like bus drivers, truck drivers, I assume taxi drivers, the likes of that, should have a medical cert every Five years is what they're saying. Now, um, that's a proposal that's being pushed back. France is not happy. The French are not happy with that at all. They're pushing back and saying it's outrageous. I don't know why they would do that. 20,000 people die every year on the EU's roads. And there's about 160,000 seriously injured. But the idea, we'll put it out there this morning, see what you think. The idea that you, a driver, should have a medical every 15 years or so, just to make sure that you're still fit and able to drive. What would you think of it? Let's talk to Albert Toomey from North Cork. Back in July 2012, Elber lost her husband, Con, her son, Oshin, and her unborn child in an accident in Devon, in the UK and since that Elbra has been a road safety campaigner and activist and for 10 years 
ran a, a memorial event called the Toomey Weekend and indeed has spoken with me many times on this show over the years. Elber, I think it's fair to say you can't understand how anyone could possibly disagree with this. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, PJ? Good, thank you. Uh, well, to be honest with you, when I when I read it, um, I was gobsmacked. And I'm not being alarmist or anything, but like 15 years, that's two generations. Mm. Like I know at the present time, you can get a license at 18 or 19 and you don't need medical assessment until you're 75, which is off the wall. Yeah. But like introducing every 15 years is really kind of, in my view, a bit of a, a box ticking exercise. Mm. I mean, look at it. If you buy a car and it's three years old, you need to take it for an NCT. Why not do the same with the human? Like they're investing all these mon- this money in self-drive cars. Why so? Because of human error. So, like, there are people who, like, eyesight fails, including myself. Do you know what I mean? Just basic medical things. I'm not talking about anything major. Yeah. But, like, you would have people who mightn't realize the, that they need glasses for anti-glare, for lights at night. Just very minor things. And to think you'd leave 15 years of somebody's life go by without checking in on them, I think is off the wall, to be honest with you. A lot of people mightn't have realised it, that you're, you're right. In this country, you get a driver's licence at 18 or 19. You don't need a medical check until you're 75. Yes. Yeah. That, that's mad in itself. But you're saying every 15 years isn't frequently enough. Now in, I, I think, don't think so. Yeah, I think at the EU, like, they're, looking at, they're looking at, for professional drivers, bus and truck, it would be five years. Should it be five years for all of us? I think it should. I certainly do. And I think it should be more. I should be less for professional drivers. Oh. I really do. Right. I do, PJ. Like, look at the MOT is more severe than the NCT. You know, similar things. Mm. Why not base? Like, if you think the car must be checked every two years, why isn't the human being checked every two years? Uh, do you know? You, you, that's a that's, that's valid point. You buy a car today, brand new car. 241. In four years' time, it needs to have an NCT, and then every year after that, it needs to be checked for roadworthiness, whereas the driver doesn't. Doesn't, yeah. And like the driver is the person operating the, mach- the machinery. Why do you think there's so much pushback against this in France and other places? I don't know. Is it just. It's, we, we're creatures of habit, I think, and we don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> yeah. That's all. But like, if you looked at it, like I read an article there I, that was published in late December where Minister Jack Chambers said he, just because it's being brought in in the EU, we mightn't necessarily bring it in here. Mm-hmm. But like, to me, cheapers, if you look back at 2003, we were the first country who took on the smoking ban. Now, I was a smoker at the time and I didn't appreciate it. But like, the country stood out in the rest of the world for being a pioneer of something so positive. Could we not do something similar here and just do better than Europe? Mm-hmm. Take it as a, like our road numbers are staggering. Rules like this, of course, already apply in Italy where you must get tested after the age of 50 and 40 in Portugal. So it wouldn't be a first, but you're saying if we put in maybe every five years for every driver, that would make us a first. I do. I think it would be great. And just be like, it would be something that it's just, it's like renewing your license. It's something you do. 
Yeah. It's like your NCT. It's something like none of us liked it when it was introduced, but it's it's a better system to have in place. Mm-hmm. Our license lasts 10 years. You wouldn't suggest maybe having it done on renewal? No, I think it's two, 10 years is a huge gap. I mean, <laughs> if you look at from the age of 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60, the amount the human body changes. True. True, very true. Ice, ice, reflexes, all those things. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And it's not being hard on the older people or but like, I just think like it could just for their benefit. Let's put it out there, Elber, and see what people think. Come here, while I have you there, the numbers are depressing. We've 30, nearly 40, let's, let's put it, nearly 40 people dead. And it's not even the 1st of March. It's staggering. Absolutely staggering, PJ. And I know we have these excuses of population growing and but like the problem still isn't we're not we're not tackling the problem I think correctly at all I think you need to be going into secondary schools it's grand everybody gets a an honor in history and an honor in geography they should be getting an honor in road safety there really should be it should be mandatory and I know there are schools that do that do stuff in transition year but not every kid does transition year yeah. Do you know, I do think your your driving qualification should be something you get as you leave secondary school. Mm-hmm. Or at least you'd be well prepared for it. Absolutely. And that they'd see, like I, I know from being involved in UK over the years, they have a program called The Honest Truth. And like there's, it's staggering the amount of road deaths. And it's, I know only too well the impact that has on a household. Yeah. But like you it. also have four to five times that number of people who are left with life-changing injuries. Mm, they're yes. like, they lose the person. It's another death, if, if you like. They have, um, where they're left incapacitated um, with severe head injuries, would say para- being paralyzed after crashes and all of these things that people don't ever think about. They think about, oh God, I could die. But you could live with, with a, a horrific life ahead of you. That's right. That's right. One of the most impressive uh, and disturbing almost interviews I did on this program in all of last year was the wonderful Dr. Jason van der Velde, who, who spoke to me about coming on a crash site and finding some young person seriously injured, to use his own words, seriously injured or worse, with a phone still in their hand and a video call still in progress. In 2024, Elber. What's going on, do you think? I mean, this has come right into your family and ripped it apart. What's going Absolutely. on? I do think, Peter, I think it, an awful lot of it is education. I do. I think it's getting in there for and trying to instill it in, in young people that this is just something. It's a no-go. Do mm. you know? I really do, because I like... We did a small road safety for Toomey Weekend over the years when we had it. Yeah. And it was interesting, I'd say about year, maybe four or five years ago, I happened to be shopping in Little, and a gentleman that I wouldn't know particularly well, but I know to say kind of hello to, he said, my dear girl, you, are you really now, I've prayed for you at different times. And he meant it in a smart way. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, basically in the morning, he'd be dropping his two kids and a two-me weekend, I'd give a brief chat to the kids about the importance of wearing your seatbelt and how it saved my life. I used to give them the two-me weekend wristband and it's that when you get into the car, you give a look around and see does everybody have their seatbelt on because very often mom or dad or nan and granddad could get about it. Yeah. But um, but this gentleman remarked, he said, Albert, I'll be praying for you in the morning when they'll be saying, Dad, you must put on your seatbelt. I have the two-me weekend wristband and 
yeah. I can't wear it unless you put on. And I just said it was fantastic. If it, if it was one house that had changed, yeah, absolutely. fantastic. Absolutely. You don't do the weekend anymore, do you? No, we'll be finished up in June. Yeah. I think we had 10 years and you want to take a step back. The community have been extraordinary with giving of their time, their money, everything. Mm. Um, and it was just a uh, step back and leave somebody else, maybe do something. We will keep the Connie Toomey Cup alive, sure. but we won't remain in fundraising. How are you getting on now? Good, thank God. Good, thank God. Um, exams done, working 12 months, um, enjoying my world of accountancy. Great. Well, always good to talk to you. and, and to uh, Likewise. Maybe we'll talk again. So let's put it out there, see what people think. A medical check every five years for every driver to be allowed to remain on the road. At minimum. Elbert, thank you. Thanks, PJ. Cheers. Uh, always a pleasure to speak with Elbert Toomey, as I have done many times over the years since tragedy destroyed her family, lost her husband, Con. Her son, Oshin, and her unborn child. Now, it was suicidal driver, a different kind of an accident to what we speak about in July of 2012 in, in Devon. But since then, she's become a very, very, very strident road safety campaigner and, and activist. So there's the proposal that's on the table. And I would like your thoughts. The EU is suggesting that we take a medical, us drivers take a medical. Now, they're saying a very brief medical, a very basic, simple medical every 15 years, just to make sure that all the vital things we need to drive a car, like eyesight and stuff like that, that they're all tickety-boo and if we need glasses, we wear glasses or lenses, and if we need stronger ones, we wear stronger ones. Now, we need to do that. The EU is suggesting, or some MEPs are suggesting we do that every 15 years. Elbert is saying, actually, no. Let's do that every five years. It's a great idea, but wouldn't be half often enough. Your thoughts on that, please, uh, to 0818 96 96 96. Check this out. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Quartz 96 fun. Every afternoon, I guarantee you the best soundtrack with tunes from these guys. Hello, I'm Luz Capaldi. Hi, this is Adele. Hey, this is Ed Sheeran. It's the show that gives you moments like this. <laughs> Are you serious? I want to send you to the 90s naughty's biggest disco at Live at the Marquee. Thank you. <laughs> Talk to you from midday. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4 p.m. This is how we do it. Corks 96 FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Boogan. Corks 96 so, medical tests. Should we have a medical every five years, those of us who want to continue driving? Our cars have to be tested once they're four years old to see are they roadworthy. Should we have to have tests to see are we? Uh, first in at 0818969696 is John. John, good morning. Good morning, Joe. What would you like to say, sir? Yeah, I just think everything you're talking about there was quite valid, and I was sympathised with that woman that was on that that lost her family. It was an awful tragedy. Mm -hmm. But this, yes, everything you're saying is quite important, but I think we would hurt the pocket. Rise up the penalties. If you're caught for speeding in the road, 500 euro. If you're caught the second time, you're off the road. It has to get really serious. While driving, yes, has to be enjoyable. But you have to think in the back of your mind, if I do something here, I want to really pay for it. Yeah. And it has to see, fines have to be severe and really severe. Mm-hmm. At the moment, it you, has get to reach three, whole, you can get from three to, to five it, points it, for speeding at the moment. Sorry? You can get from three to five points 
for speeding. Yeah, no pending good. On, no? No good. No? No good. Clear the pocket, hit the pocket, and hit it quick. Yeah. Hit the pocket and hit it quick. Points, look, people will get around, they'll get someone to take them, whatever. Play the piper. And by God, I'll tell you, when you hit the pocket, people will feel it. And yet, education, I think, very important as well. Talk to the kids at an early stage, but they're talking about climate change, the environment, you name it, as we hear so much about it. You know, there's a lot going on as well about road safety and all that, and the amount of deaths we've had so far this year as a party. But no, the penalty is not severe enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What would you do now, about the, someone that be, we, the big problem we have? Seen, be, might say, sorry? No, I was just going to make the point there. Speed is a huge problem. But the doctors, and I, I spoke last summer to Dr. Jason Vandeveld, his biggest problem seems to be distractions, the use of mobile phones. What would you do with someone caught using a mobile phone? Oh, uh, penalty would have to be severe. Would you put it off the road for it? I would. I would. It's got to that stage because someone could say, for God's sake, that man is extreme. What about so if you had to make a phone call before getting a heart attack or you were not feeling well and you need to contact the doctor? Yes, look, okay. Common sense prevails. Yes. But the powers that be, if they take this really, really serious, they know what to do all right. Um, it's, it's a big obvious, but mobile phones on the road, look, it happens myself. I can do it. One, look, there's a great ad in television, The Anatomy of a Second. That's right. The Anatomy of a Second. You see where the ice cream drops up and down? The Anatomy of a Second. There's so much to be loved in that ad. And there are some very good ads on television. But I think, like, it's water to a duck. When I was a young lad, I drove hard, drove fast as well. But it's water to a duck of 80% of the young population, 90% of the young population. They're all good people, most Mm -hmm. of them. But listen, Speeding, speeding, mobile phone. We have to get really. You're, you're, you're talking, Frank, about massive fines that would almost push people into re, into penury. Like you're talking about fining people thousands. How would you say? Like if you were caught with a mobile phone mm-hmm. and you had to pay a penalty of five hundred euro. Now the people might say, "Ah, these people won't have that." They might be able to pay it. You have court cases filing up. You have summonses filing up. But listen, there's a starting point. There is a starting point. It mightn't work 100%. But by God, I'll tell you, if you're out there and you're in a job and you're working and you're on a mobile phone, you have a penalty face to 500 euros. I think you'll think twice about grand the phone. All right. Thank you, John. Appreciate the call. 0818 96 96 96. Frank. How are you? You you think, again, wouldn't go far enough even five years for a medical? Um, Well, first of all, I have to agree with everything Elber said. I mean, that's just common sense. I mean, we'll just say in the last two two to three years, I don't know, I've had to have two, at least two changes of glasses. Because the eyesight is going down. No, I mean, everybody's eyesight more or less does. So, I mean, yeah. I think maybe I think your your idea probably wasn't too bad on your renewing your license, but I don't think it goes far enough, Fiji. I think you should there should be a um, mandatory retest. A retest. A retest. A, a driving license or a driving test every ten years. 
And the reason being, PJ, I mean, I think everybody, when they're doing, well, most people know are doing their tests. Well, you have to with your 12, these 12... Compulsory uh, lessons. Yeah. Compulsory lessons. Then you're going straight to your test. You're doing everything perfectly. The bad habits come in after you've done your test. Yeah. You're, do, you're doing a test. You never see a motorway. On the L plate or the the numpty place, you're not supposed to see a motorway. Mm. And the minute the day after, or the minute they hand you that slip of paper saying you passed your test, off off out onto the motorway and probably not a clue. There's a thing. Someone said that to me one time. You're driving tester, Frank. He said, "Look, when we give you your, when we give you your your pass, your your your, your, slip, your yeah. slip, all your all that says is you're now entitled to drive in the real world." That's all that oh, says. That's all. that's all, yeah. I mean, Peter, P- in all fairness, do you honestly think if you went out and done the driving test as it is at the moment, I mean, you're probably driving, well, I know your age, so you're probably driving. I'm, I'm driving f- since the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. about 52 years, yeah. But, well, um, you miss her. But do you think if you went out now on the, the actual test? No, no, I wouldn't. The question or doubt, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd I'd say, oh, I'd say over 50, even 60% of over... 50s wouldn't. Mm. Um, and I'd say 80% of under 25s would fail on the second test if they were put on the motorway. Possibly, possibly, yeah. yeah. But more, you know, more frequent testing. You reckon every time your licence is up for renewal, you should have to do a test? I would think so, yeah. And the medical exam. And the medical. All right. Frank, thank you. 0818 96 96 Johnny says you need to bring back the type of ads that bring home the reality of what can happen on the road. Anne-Marie, what about the driver who texts and then the lights change and there's a big gap ahead? The factors are there. You can literally see it happening from the side of the road. Speed, phones, drinks, drug, drink, drugs. Mags says I get the mads on the road at idiots who don't use indicators or are on their phones. But in all fairness, you'd want to have anger issues beeping at someone broken down. This was after... Talking to Mary Jane yesterday, her car broke down, down in Dunkettle, and she said the harassment she felt while she was waiting for someone to come and help her. Mary says, I agree about the medical exam, but we'd want to book with the GP now to get the appointment. That's true. Please don't compare cars and humans. The government would want to fix all the roads first. I think this government is again dictating to the people. People have common sense whether to drive or not if they're not well. You're half right, Mary, but I would argue that common sense isn't as common as we'd like it to be. Uh, France was against this uh, EU idea. Kate says, when people say France are against the changes in road safety, you have to take into account the amount of traffic calming in France. It's often in design of the road and fits well in a heritage or cult or rurally aesthetic way. Also, a lot of the older drivers use voitures sans permis, which are not powerful or heavy. Yeah, that's a whole concept in itself, Kate, the voitures sans permis. I've seen them. They're fabulous little yokes. Fabulous little things altogether. Uh, Bernie, uh, I'd like to say sorry for your loss, and thank you for that, uh, Bernie. There are pages and pages of messages here. I can't really agree with this proposal, because I think it takes the focus off things like road rage, driving too fast, and distraction. Also, I think when an elderly driver crashes, there's a rush to blame their age and their health. In some cases, an expected situation, an unexpected situation 
could arise in a crash and then there might be a heart attack. These types of explanations are never investigated. In some cases, health and age are a factor, but more lives could be saved by concentrating resources everywhere. I will come back to these because they are flying in the door to me. The idea, Albert Toomey, suggesting that, don't mind what the EU is saying about maybe every 15 years, Albert Toomey is suggesting that every driver, in order to retain their licence, should have to face a medical every five year, or five years. Because your car has to have an NCT every so often to make sure it's roadworthy. And perhaps the driver should have the same to ensure that they are roadworthy. I will come back to it, but I want to stop down for a second to pay tribute to a man who I last met when he was... I didn't realise he was in his early 80s at the time. He carried it so well. He looked an awful lot fresher than what he would have been at the time I met him. Would have been probably around 81 or 82. He was a titan of Cork business and he passed away in only the last few days. Look at the development of shopping centres, for example, in Douglas and Wilton and Blackpool. And the name Clayton Love, if it's not on your mind should come to it. Uh, Donald McClement was a lifelong friend of the late great uh, Clayton Love, who would have been 95 in April had he lived to see that birthday. Donald, good morning, and I'm sorry for the loss of your friend. I only met him a few times, but I always found him likeable and in his company enjoyable. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I would like to reiterate that. What a fantastic man he was. He was my mentor. He was a surrogate father of mine, um, I sailed with him. I made fun, leisure, um, holidays, happy times, mm. and it a great loss. An incredible business pain, Donald. Where did he pick it up? I think his father, his late father, well, his very late father was also very good in involved in uh, the uh, food trade. And I think Clayton started his apprenticeship with, with Clayton Love and Sons in Cork uh, at the time. They were wholesale grocers and... Um, fruit merchants and fish merchants mm. and a big part of their business was supplying the transatlantic liners that came into Cove in the 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, he developed he was for instance responsible for the reopening of St. Peter's Market uh, which was always a, which had been derelict for a number of years I actually worked with him in the very early 60s um, but uh, we were family friends and he was very good to my family and very good to me mm-hmm. He was hugely involved in sailing to the RCYC and quite an expert sailor. Absolutely. Um, I first crewed with him, I think it was in 1956, I was 13 or 14, and he had a, a 505, which was the equivalent of a Formula One racing car in those days. Mm-hmm. And um, all his dinghies were called after his uh, late first wife, Betty. So every dinghy he had was called Miss Betty. He was a champion. I, I, I won at least one Irish championship with him, a crew, and he was champion um, in Europe and sailed in Europe. He, managed the Irish Olympic sailing team. He was the, both the Royal Cork and the Irish Sailing Association owe him a immense debt of gratitude because without him and without his organizing skills and his devotion and his dedication, both uh, outfits would not exist today. Um, and there's no doubt about that. As well as that, he got heavily involved with the lifeboats and uh, uniquely, he was the first Irishman to hold a 
post as deputy director of the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, which was a real honour, an unpaid um, yeah. job, but which he did admirably well. I wasn't aware of, of, of that. A lot of people wouldn't be aware of his influence on shopping uh, around the city. Douglas, Wilton, Blackpool, major shopping centres. He was the first one, was he not, to put a shopping centre into Douglas or to even think about it? He was the first one to build a shopping centre in Ireland. Um, as far as I'm aware, yes, yes, uh, Wilton was before Douglas, uh, and he was Wilton first, uh, then I think Douglas, uh, two Douglases, I think he was involved in, and then Blackpool, which was his piece of resistance. Um, But as well as that, uh, PJ, he was a fantastic family man. He had three uh, three children, they're all adults now, obviously, and lots of grandchildren. He was adored by his grandchildren, and um, he was just... uh, I, I, I really, when I heard the news yesterday morning, I actually cried. And um, mm. I was to, I was talking to his son. He rang me shortly after his kneel, and they said they were celebrating his life, which, of course, when you're nearly 95, if you've let, lasted that long, <laughs> it, it should be a celebration. Yeah. And uh, in his case, uh, speaking to his, uh, his widow now, she said they were sitting at home yesterday and they were reminiscing with her brother and, and uh, her son-in-law. Mm. Uh, they were just reminiscing and laughing and all, remembering all the good times. And that's how he would want to be remembered. Yeah. But what a man. He, he was just um, special. And, uh, I don't think there's anybody would say a bad thing about him from a, from a social point of view. And I think from a business point of view, he was so honourable as well. I last met him only a few years ago. He waved to me literally across the street in Douglas. He, he had a bright pink shirt on him and he, he wore a lot of very bright coloured shirts and he waved to me across the street. I had no time to stop, but the previous time I'd met him, I'd met him after the flood in 2012. Yes. And we were in Jono's. Yes. And you imagine that, you remember the damage that that had done. And I saw him in Jono's and I rang the newsroom here. I said, Clayton Lovis in Douglas, I'll see if I can get him. And I approached him in Jono's and I introduced myself he was well aware of who I was, of course. And I said to him, could I do a, a brief interview with you? And he said, well, let's have lunch first. Yes. Uh, and we laughed and talked for over two hours. Now, he yes. said, get out your microphone. His, that, that, even in the midst of a crisis, it was wonderful company. Absolutely. Um, you know, I did a lot of sailing with him, uh, both as a very young sir. Um, he took me, my, unfortunately, my father died when I was quite young, and he was really a second father to me, and he took me to regattas all over Ireland and uh, when I was in my middle and late teens. And uh, then I went to work for him, which was astonishing, but I left after five years and I, I went to England. But I kept in touch with the family, and, and I know all the three children, uh, Clayton, Minor, as he's known, uh, he's far from being minor. Um, uh, his daughter Sarah, Sarah Cronin, and his other son Neil Love, who lives in Dublin. And I kept in touch with all of them, and we've had a lot of fun and a lot of happy memories. But mm. it, it's still a sad day when yeah. when somebody dies. Indeed, indeed. Uh, thank you, Donald, for paying tribute to uh, your great friend uh, Clayton Love Jr., who's passed away. And Robin Power is another man who, together with Clayton changed the face of Cork retail and Cork business and uh, he passed away 95. He carried it well if you've ever met him around Douglas or anywhere like that he carried his age in a way that some people could only dream of. 0818 96 96 96 whether you're a rebel in red and white Or one of the boys in green Grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon I'll be there for you. 
96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns this May. And Friday 24th is Jersey Day. Raise funds for Cork Cancer Services by wearing a jersey from a sporty support. Get together with family, friends, colleagues or classmates and see 96FM.ie for more. The Giving for Living Radiothon supporting Cork Cancer Services May 23rd to 25th. Only on Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 Big response to our road safety item earlier on. I'll come back to some of your comments on two different ideas. One, that we should have a medical every five years, those of us who want to remain on the roads, not the 15 that the EU or some elements of the EU is suggesting. And also, uh, which was John's suggestion, that we have much, much bigger fines for things like speeding and things like driving with a mobile phone. But first, let's go to the business of the the bottle tax, the deposit and return and Governor Moynihan, who's a Fianna Fáil councillor on Cork County Council um, from Duhallow, has been saying very vehemently that these machines will be to the detriment of smaller businesses who don't have them. And uh, Governor raised a motion recently at County Hall uh, to try to help small business people. Um, Governor, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Now, you believe that small traders, small shops in country areas like McCroom, for example, that they are going to be badly affected by this scheme? Yeah, let me start by saying, from Duhallow I am at all, but from a lovely I place called Coolidge. I beg your pardon, I beg your pardon. That, once I get into that part of the country, and I know you could be, you could have your foot in the ditch, and your other foot on the road, and you're in two different townlands, and you wouldn't know one from the other, so my apologies. <laughs> No, you're grand. No, what I was hoping was that the council would participate in the deposit return scheme and would have it available, the facility available in the amenity centres. So, you know, where people bring their recycling um, or the bring sites. A lot of these bring sites are in small villages around the county. So mm-hmm. it's where people take their glass bottles and their cans, their empties, um, and they're convenient. They're there in the middle of villages, so people pop there after going to the shop or go there after mass, whatever, like, you know. So it's just to make it more accessible. But at the same time, it takes away the emphasis um, on the large retail stores. Like, because this is almost exclusively in the large retail stores, not in your local shop mm-hmm. in your small villages, because of the cost of it, because of the, the infrastructure itself, the size of it. And I suppose my fear is that people will be going to those big um, supermarkets now to use this facility. And that's why I want the council to step in as soon as they can and mm. provide it so that A, it's more accessible, but B, that you're not um, diverting the shopping, the shoppers, to the big retail stores as opposed to uh, supporting our local um, corner shops, you know? Like, that's one impact it could have. Um, like, accessibility and not to be taking away business from our local corner shops. Fantastic idea, but there's two small flaws in it as I see them, but maybe you've thought them through, Governor. One, if I go to my local Super Value, Little Aldi, Tesco, whatever, with my bag of bottles and I get my little voucher, I have to spend that voucher in that exact shop. Now, if you put your machine up by the Bring Centre 
in anywhere you want, and I bring my bottles to the bring centre, where do I spend my voucher? There's no shop there. Yeah, I'll explain that to you because this is rolled out around around Europe. It's it's no different basis for years and years. And some of those machines in other countries have a button on it where you can put it directly towards the charity. Like, so you don't even have to be messing with money or vouchers. Like, that's one option that the council could do. Or it could have it for the entrance fee going into the, into the amenity centre. Or it could be towards your parking ticket. Or, you know, when you pay parking in, in, in a town, like, for an hour, it could go towards any of those. But, like, I think even just the charity idea clears up all that issue mm. in regards to coins, deposits, um, vouchers, any of that. Mm. Like, this is going on in other countries already. We should be learning from it. We should be learning from how it's, how it's, how it's worked in other countries. Mm. And bringing those ideas here. And it is in councils in other countries. Mm. And there is demand by, by councils around Ireland onto the department to try and get going on this. All mm-hmm. I want is Cork County Council to do the same. All I want is them to be ready to go yeah. and to put this facility available. So it's a fairer playing field for shops. But also, it's accessible, more accessible for everyone. I like you know, that. For and you, your council, the council did back your motion, which means they'll look into it further. But the idea that so the vending machine or the deposit return machine would be, say, down at the dump and you bring your bottles down yeah. there and you, yeah. you, you could to, to give the money to charity or you could use it against parking. Or yeah, or parking, yeah. Yes. But I, like... Don't forget too, like you know, when people have the the bin uh, collection, bin collection, mm-hmm. they're not getting their deposit back in that at all. When they're putting these bottles or these cans with the logos into it, they're not going to get their deposit back. Or the people who are doing their shopping online and get it delivered to the door, they're not right. taking back those cans or those bottles and getting your deposit right. back. So what I'm looking for is just to make it as accessible and as easy as possible. So when you can't put it in that wheelie bin, that those bottles that you have down the ground enough that you can go straight to the bring site in any, in any town or village around the place and get rid of them straight away. That sounds like a plan. I like that idea. Governor Moynihan, thank you. Fianna Fáil County Councillor, thank you. Now, there's another group of people affected by this too. Um, the the small brewers, craft brewers of Ireland, Scott Bagent, I hope I have the name right, Scott, is uh, the founder of Eight Degrees Brewery. This is troubling you guys purely for the expense of labelling your cans and bottles. Good morning. Good morning, Scott. Jay, how, how are you doing? Good, good. I hope I had uh, the you, name right. You did a good, a good job with the, the last name as well, so uh, that's, that's much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, so the, our, our problem is um, uh, really the inclusion of cans into the scheme is, is really madness from our perspective. Like we had a really good system where people could put them, crush them and put them in their recycling bins at home. And, mm. um, and there was a pretty good rate of recycling of them, but... The um, yeah, the problem for us really is around the the little tiny logo that we have to put onto the cans. So there's a 13 by 13 millimeter logo um, that uh, like the return logo that mm. needs to be placed. Our cans um, for for us, our cans they come pre-printed from the manufacturer. They the minimum order size for these cans is massive. Like we we order in about four to six months of stock each each run like this that's the minimum that we can bring in so currently we have on site about 460,000 cans without without this little 13 by 13 millimeter logo um 
on them. And so the solution that the return scheme has is that we need to manually apply this small little plastic logo sticker to each and every can mm-hmm. that, that we have. And um, it's uh, like we're, we're, we're already trying to chip away at it. It's taking about two people full time. They, they can do about a bit over 2,000 cans a day. Uh, so we're, we're seeing that, that that will take us the guts of a year uh, to manually apply this little mm-hmm. sticker. But the thing is that the sticker itself isn't necessary. Like the, the machines, the return machines, they read the barcodes, not the stickers yes. at, at all. So can you and not have your barcode then inserted into the system, Scott? Because I know other, other companies have done that. Yeah, well, that, that's what we have. So our, our barcodes are registered with the system. The machines, they read the barcodes. They don't read whether there's a logo sticker there or not. But mm-hmm. to be compliant with the scheme, we also have to have the, the logo sticker. But it, it really isn't necessary from a functional perspective perspective like the machines will still take in the cans even even if they don't have the logo it's just right it's so, the so why it's if, the if they still take the cans in i'm just a little confused if this if they still take the cans the barcode is registered with the system so the can will be taken in by the machine and if yeah. the sticker isn't 100 percent necessary for the machine then why can't you just yeah not use the sticker until such time as you run out of your old stock and then you're I presume that your supplier will then pre-apply this. Well, I mean, you're, I, I love your common sense approach there, PJ. Um, <laughs> but the, the rules are that from the 15th of March, no retailer is allowed to take in any cans or plastic bottles without without the sticker applied to them. Um, so we'll, we'll be stopped at the gate, essentially. Like they, they won't take our stock in unless it has this little logo sticker. So just like rules for the sake of rules. Like there's no functional need for it but it's um i mean clearly if you're a large producer if you're the coca-colas of the world like they turn over their their packaging stock they i mean it, it's not an issue for them and and the scheme was clearly consulted with the large industry but for small producers where they have um like mul- multiple months of packaging stock on site um we only had uh, six weeks to in the transition period to, to go from, um, I guess, stock without without the logo to to stock with the logo. And it just it just was nowhere near long enough. This to, explains to, actually for uh, me why a lot of supermarkets I've been in are selling off cans of soft drinks at a cut price. They're getting rid of stock, but you can't do that. No, no, no. I mean, essentially, when we go to the return scheme organisers, they're... they're a solution is, uh, here goes the, I mean, they supply us with this little sticker that we need to need to um, put on it. We're not allowed to go get a sticker ourselves. Um, but they, 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 I mean, their solution is sort of, why don't you just export everything? I mean, send it to a country that doesn't need well, um, this you. stock. But it, again, again, as a small producer, I mean, we, we don't, you, we don't would have you, that. Would you, would you care to explain me how I set up a whole market like that in a couple of weeks? Oh, Scott, Scott. Yeah. As you so, said, um, common sense isn't so, so the, common. Common sense is not so common. Yeah, I mean, so the tragedy of it really is, I mean, the, the most, the best Thing that we can do um, from a business perspective is to crush most of the cans that we have on on site, like so, four hundred odd thousand cans, and bring in a new batch of pre-printed cans with the logo on them. But I mean, isn't it a tragedy that a recycling scheme being so poorly implemented that 
it results in that level of waste. The four hundred thousand perfectly good cans uh, have to be crushed <laughs> for no reason. I mean, other, we'll, we'll put, for no reason other than time. I'm going to have to pause it there. I'd love to continue, but that's a very good, sensible point that you make. I will come back to this. Scott Bajan, founder of Eight Degrees Brewery. Thank you. As I said. Clock is as cut. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818-969696. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. Did, I don't know if I heard this right or not, right? Is is Jürgen Klopp cheating on Creveen Kelleher's name? Maybe maybe I'm wrong now. Did he call him Creve Kelleher? Or is he not calling him Creveen? I'm not too sure which. Um, put your headphones on there, Demo. Did you hear that or did I hear that? Well, uh, Klopp, he called him Creve, is it? Yeah. Is he cheating on them? <laughs> I think that maybe they're just, you know, it's, they've become such buddies that he's now a legend of Liverpool. That you just well, call him well, it's it's amazing that, that a fellow like Jorgen Klopp can pronounce the name and, and, and the English commentators still can thank them. Yeah, I thought I heard that all right. Anyway, 0818-969696, the number, the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Lads, I have pages and pages and pages, and they're still coming in about our road safety. Now, today is slow down day, and as Damien was saying in news there, we've had loads of people stopped already this morning uh, speeding on the roads. We have 36 people dead so far this year, last one being a 10-year-old boy. We have a serious problem. The EU is looking at every 15 years that drivers should have to have some kind of a medical to make sure they're still fit to be on the road. Albert Toomey says, 15 years, me hat. Make it every five years. And then John was on saying, actually, the fines aren't half as severe as they need to be. So let's look at that. And I have loads of comments, and I will come back to them. Uh, the five, five, Every five years, Albert is suggesting that every five years every driver should have to have a basic medical just to make sure they're fit to drive and also John was suggesting that the fines are nothing like enough like if you're caught speeding 500,000 euro second time put you off the road if you're caught with your mobile phone 500,000 euro second time put you off the road do we need to get tough much much tougher than we have been and I'll come back to that in the next while, I've got some calls waiting and lots and lots of messages. The Baldy Barber was on about Clayton Love Jr. Says he was a gentleman. He donated 10k towards the building of the Millennium Hall in Blackpool Community Centre. And many of the haircut I gave him, says Mick. Thanks, Mick. Who, by the way, Baldy was on to me last week. I wanted people to know that the salon is still open. And the salon will remain open until Baldy Barber says the salon is closing. And he'll say it right here. He'll come on and tell me when the salad is closing. Thanks for that. Ambulance response times. This is a common one. We keep coming back to it. Uh, wherever you are in the city, 
county, country, your ambulance response time, it's always a talking point. Orla, you came across an incident really recently in West Cork, in Inchidani, in fact, where a woman had had an accident and she seemed to be waiting forever for an ambulance. Good morning to you. Good morning. Yes, it was uh, just Sunday past. We were out, my partner and I were out with our dog for a walk on the Inchidani beach. And um, we were there about two o'clock, I would imagine. And when we finished the walk, we I fancied eating in the hotel, and but we decided we'd do a little bit of a, more exploring. But there was a lot of confirmations going in and out, and we thought well, we'd come back later on. Mm. But as we were walking towards the other side of the beach in front of the hotel, I noticed. Um, a lady, uh, you know, um, an old dear, as I would call them, had fallen down the steps in front of the hotel leading onto the car park, which it would be roughly about seven, six or seven steps. Mm-hmm. She must have fallen about, you know, gradually about six feet, you know, okay. in, in a gradual fall. But she was, she, she wasn't a young, a young woman by all accounts, but. By the time we came upon her, she had uh, the assistant, assistant of the hotel and then there were some other people around her. Um, but um, so rather than standing there gaping at her, we continued to walk on and uh, we probably spent about 20 minutes. Um, and she was wrapped in blankets and things like that at that stage. As we came upon her, she was wrapped in blankets and Mm. had something under her head. But you could clearly see that her head was bleeding and the blood was on the on the ground around her, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So we decided that. uh, So on the way back uh, to the car, I spoke to the manager of the hotel and I just said, "Um, is everything okay?" And um, he said, yeah. And I said, have you called an ambulance? And he said, yeah, we have. Mm. And I said, okay. And I said, poor thing, you know, I hope she'd be all right. And um, he said, yeah. And we decided that we'd bring our dog home. We live in Ross Carberry and we'd book a table for about five o'clock. And we'd take the dog home and come back out then later on, you know. So my phone happened to ring as I was walking back to the car and... I didn't take any notice of the time, but we booked the table for five o'clock and when we were coming back out for five o'clock, so say we started our walk, say for about quarter past two, two thirty time, finished that after a half an hour, did another, say, 20 minutes around the other side of Inchidani, booked the table for five o'clock, so I estimate the the lady fell at about 2.30, mm. 23. We were coming back out and the ambulance was in front of us at five o'clock. Five o'clock. So, yeah, my phone rang at five past three as we were getting into the car and to go home to bring the dog home. And we came home and did another few jobs and things like that before five o'clock I went back out. And at five past five, that lady was still on the ground and so by the time we came upon her she had blankets around her and stuff under her head but you could visibly see her head 
She had a serious wound because there was a lot of blood. So you estimate that she'd had her fall sometime between two and three, and this is five past five. Five past five, the And the ambulance is coming towards the hotel, wow. Yeah, yeah. So that lady, I would have been on the ground for at least two and a half hours. Crikey. And close to, I would imagine, close to 80 years of age. She wouldn't have been much younger than that. Wow. That's a long and, time. I mean, on the freezing cold with her head pumping. Mm. And of course, they can't, before people start getting on the phones and thinking, wouldn't you think they'd bring her, lift her up and bring her in? They can't. You can't do that. You can't touch her? No. Because, because it I make things worse. Manager, I said, would you know go in and get some tinfoil? I said, I'll wrap it around her because it was raining earlier. Mm. You know, and I know tinfoil, you know, you see them, they use foil on people know, that are... Yeah. Uh, hypothermia but the ground was wet because it had been raining earlier that day and uh, I just felt so sorry for her mm-hmm. um, now we went into the hotel now I must say the, the hotel staff stayed with her the manager stayed with her the whole time you know they yeah. were fantastic they did everything that they possibly yeah. could yeah yeah and um, he you'd, said you'd that expect no less the fine, fine team down in Shidani but this, this is an important point as I said earlier before anyone starts ringing in going saying well why didn't they bring her into the warm you can't you can't because you can't lift somebody especially yeah. after a fall yeah, you know? yeah 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 but two no, oh, two more you reckon over two and a half hours then for an ambulance yeah two and a half hours and as we were go- we live in Ross Garbury so <clears throat> as we were coming home I'd say we're about 10, 15 minutes from the hotel. So as we were coming home, an ambulance was going flying up through Lissavard past us. And we said, oh, God, that must be for the lady. Please, God, you know, and I bless myself and whatever. And I, and um, so it wasn't for her at all. Cranky. It was another two hours before an ambulance came get her. I mean, oh, my heart was broken for her and her chances uh, you know, as 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 most people know, when you come to my age, a lot of people, a fall can actually be the end of somebody. But what oh, chance have you oh, got yeah. when you're out in the freezing cold after falling about six or seven feet and been out in the exp- ex- exposure for, for two and a half hours, you know? Let us hope, let us hope that she's okay. Uh, somebody may know her, Orla, and may know how, how things turned out for her. Let us hope that she's okay, but two and a half hours... For an ambulance. That ambulance probably have been dispatched from the city, possibly, or it could have been one of the West Cork ambulances. But two and a half hours, that's too long. Yeah. That's way, way, way too long. Orla, thank you for that. Do you know about that lady? Is she okay? But there's the weekend. So this lady gets a fall. Orla estimates around the half two mark, because that's they came... They came across the, the situation. She'd fallen down some steps there outside the Inchidani Hotel. Staff, management doing everything they can for her. They can't move her, though. Ambulance had been called. And Orla was back at the hotel for dinner, five o'clock, and the ambulance was arriving then. Not that this... It. Wow. Wow. Ooh. 0818969696. Someone here is saying that the ambulance, when it arrived, this is interesting. Someone is saying that when the ambulance arrived, the crew were from 
Middleton. So it wasn't a West Cork ambulance after all, where wherever the crew came, I'm sure they did their absolute best because the people, the paramedics, and anyone's ever dealt with them knows how brilliant they are. The paramedics crewing our ambulances are the best in the business, the best in the business. Many of them are as good as, if not better than a doctor on the scene, but if they can't get to you, they can't get to you. So that's the second call we've now had in response to Orla, that the ambulance that responded on Sunday, or whatever day, I don't, can't remember what day she said, at the weekend that this happened, took two and a half hours to get there, came from Middleton. Are we trying to suggest there's no ambulances in West Cork that could have been sent? That would make things worse. But anyway, oh wait, any more about that? We'll bring it to you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I'm just hoping that that lady uh, was okay, and I think Orla would also like to know that she was okay. Now, a very quick call. I was just on road safety and the various things we're talking about in regard to road safety this morning. Kiara, morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. On the medical tests. Yes. So <clears throat> I come from Italy, and uh, basically every ten years until you are fifty, you are required to renew your license. And uh, a part of the bureaucratic part, you also have to go to a quick uh, medical checkup. Okay. But it's, it's detached from uh, GP and stuff, so it's like you know, a specific doctor that uh, is just involved in uh, this, uh, uh, you know, driver license issues. And that are from 50 to 70 is every five years. And uh, after that is every three years. And over 80 is every two years. Okay. okay and so. then, of course, if you have some... Uh, uh, you know, specific uh, illness, I mean, like, you know, for example, diabetes or so, it might be, even if you are, like, you know, not in that age group, you might be required to get uh, your driver license renewed every three years or something. Right. So I, my dad, for example, is in this uh, uh, case. So yes. he has to renew his license more often compared to what is supposed to be for his age because of uh, diabetes. So let me just get So every driver, up, is it up to the age of 50? Yeah, you are, you are, yes, you have to go every 10 years okay. to and do this after uh, 50 checkup. changes then? After yes, then it's every 5 uh, from 50 to 70, and then it's every 3 from 70 to 80, and every 2 above 80. And the Italians have no problem with this idea. Obviously, from the EU, the French have a big problem with it. But Chiara, thank you for that. Chiara's Italian. This happens in Italy up to the age of 50. You have to have... A medical every time that you renew your license. After the age of 50, it's every five years. After 70, it's every three years. After 80, it's every two years. Thank you, uh, Chiara. 0818-96-96-96. Sandra wants to get in this one. So too does Anne. And I have pages and pages and pages of comments to read. We'll do that next. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Yeah, just quickly there, Chiaro, I forgot to mention EU average for road debts. Italy is now well below the EU average for road debts. So who's to know? It doesn't have something to do with their testing regime. Right, Sandra. Hi. Um, hi, PJ. Um, great subject. Thank you. you. Know, especially with so many young drivers on the road. Yeah. Um, my daughter is 26 now. When she was in TY, yeah. um, they brought in Drive for Life. Right. I think it was the RSA brought it in. But they showed real crashes, real people being hurt, no dummies. And 
it was she came back and she was telling me and I said, God, I should have done that as well. Everyone should be made compulsory mm-hmm. for everybody that goes out on the road and maybe especially for the young kids nowadays, you know, when they go into TY and you no, know, it's the age group really for driving, I'd say, getting their license. And it'll just show them what will happen before they even get a license in their hand. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it'll show them the respect of the road, respect of what will happen if they crash or if they knock somebody down or the consequences afterwards if, you know, if it did happen. Yeah. Um, then my younger son, he's 17 now, when he was 11, I taught him how to drive in a field. Okay. And um, best thing I've ever done. Now mm-hmm. I know everybody doesn't have that opportunity. He would pull a horse box better than I ever, I ever will. <laughs> um, but um, he, I brought him to Rally Connect in Dungarvan. Right. It's where rally drivers go to get their license. Okay. And like, um, I think the starting age at the time might have been 10 or 11. But because he had driving experience, he was able to go into him. Um, he drove a Subaru and he drove um, a Mark IV Escort, I think. Mm-hmm. And they go around with the instructor. That would be, these guys now are teaching the rally drivers, we'd say. Mm. They go around, show them what you're supposed to do. The, now, he was he was actually driving against adults at the time, right? So he was brought around the track with the um, instructor. Then they get in and they do their laps. I think at the time he'd done about 30 laps for maybe 100 quid. But obviously the price will be gone up now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he done his laps and they have to go against the clock. Right. So um, at the end of it anyway, he was he actually came third against adults. <laughs> He's a fine um, driver. Yeah, he came third. Like, and he's actually driving now on the road and his first car, I got him a Jimny. Because a Jimmy. Oh, well, a GP thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're slow. He can't do over 60, no, it'll be nearly <laughs> max. If you try and do over 60 in one of them, it'll fall apart, Sandra. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a Sean ba- break, a body bone breaker. But it's, he can't speed in it. Um, you, you certainly wouldn't be going to Dublin in a hurry. life. But <laughs> you get up more speed on that ride on lawnmower. <laughs> exactly. And that was the whole point of it. There's no speed involved. Mm. And like, you know, it's it's just that I got him to do these things, respect for the road, mm. to be shown and taught properly how to handle a car, maybe on bends or certain situations. Yeah. That, you know, we'd say our professional rally drivers would be, you know, that's the way they would drive, like, obviously. And um, it has made a huge difference to his driving because there's respect. Yeah. You know, once you see, once once the kids are given respect for the road, it is, um, it is mighty, like. Yeah. And, you know, as I say, I think TY will be very important year, fourth, fifth year, where the kids are starting to go out on the roads that, Maybe if it was made compulsory in the school, that this age group had to do something. Maybe they could even do their driving lessons in school. That's interesting. You know, That's interesting. You do it. Do it that way because look, they're all going to be going out at the road at some stage. Uh-huh. 
um, why not do this in school? Maybe it could be brought in as part of their curriculum for their leave search. Yeah, a, uh, a life skill. And it's, it would be a great... Exactly. A exactly. life skill. Yeah. Um, because look, at this day and age, everybody has cars now, and especially the younger age group, you know, Mm. Um, and which is a fantastic it, it's fantastic like we would be involved with rallies now and things like that and uh, like we'd be marking for rallies and things like that now and we'd one coming up in Patrick's weekend in Clonic Kelsey yeah. and like we see crashes we see the outcome of crashes and I think the younger generation need to see that now not just the young don't get me wrong um, I had a truck driver he was on the wrong side of the road nearly hit he, if I hadn't swerved for a ditch he would not. We would not be alive yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. I reported I think, it to the guards. I reported this to the guards, right? And nothing has come of it. Your man did. The guards left him scot free. Yeah. I don't know if this guy was tired. I don't know if he had drinking him. I don't know if he had been taking, you know, a medical form of drugs. Um, I reported it. The guards stopped him, but it's been thrown out there. that I yeah, haven't heard any more. You don't know what happened after that. Great points. Uh, well made, Sandra. Thank you for joining the conversation this uh, lovely uh, Wednesday, Thursday morning. Thank you. Uh, 0818969696. There's a lot in this, a lot to unpack, and a lot of different nuances in this discussion, which comes down to a proposal from the EU that we would have medicals, those of us who drive cars with a medical every 15 years. The French are up in arms about it. The Italian. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Didn't think great idea. We've been doing it for years anyway. Albert Toomey suggests actually 15 years may hat. Let's do it every five. I'm asking for for your input. We let it run throughout the morning with a few other things to get to, but I will let this one run. In on the WhatsApp at 083 396 is... Anne. Medical is not going to do much good if someone's just going to go drinking and using drugs. I mean, people need to be re-educated on the road. Some people haven't a clue what lane they should be in, 
there's just carelessness. Ads are a great idea because, I mean, there's been ads on that television and I've heard people go, oh, is that the side of the road I should be on? So really, education. Educate all the children and leave them tell the parents, no phones, no this, no that. They're great ads. Thank you, Anne. 0818 96 96 96. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Muscree Local History Society will be hosting a lecture by Colin Rinn on the Cork Butter Market and the Cork Butter Roads in the 19th century. Colin's lecture about the world's largest butter market will be held at 8pm on Monday the 4th of March in Ballancolic Rugby Club. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork. 96 FM. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Come back to road safety, I promise. You might have seen this over the last few days or at least read about it if you're a Celtic fan. Their boss, Brendan Rogers, has come under a bit of flack. He was doing interviews with reporters and he, he wanted to get to the end of an interview with one particular female reporter. And he used the term, Jane Lewis is her name. He used the term, good girl, good girl, at the end of the interview. He also called another reporter, good man, good man. Uh, but people took objection to the fact that he called Jane, good girl, and called your man, good man, didn't call him, good boy. It's a, a bit of... The flack over that, Brendan Rogers. Now, Eamon Holmes has kind of stepped into this. Uh, and Eamon Holmes said, look, hold on a while. This is a Northern Irish thing. You'd see women in their 50s and 60s calling each other girl. It's, it's, and men and women, men calling women girl. Do you know what I mean? It's a thing in Northern Ireland. Of course, Brendan Rogers is from that part of the world. But it's still not going down too well. Eileen Ring uh, regularly talks to us about, uh, well, soccer, especially, but women's sport in general. You saw that, I take it, Eileen. What did you think? Morning. Yeah, morning, morning, PJ. How are you? Um, yeah, I saw um, a friend of mine um, from the other Three Amigos podcast, Wayne Mullen, shared it with me the other morning. And um, look... I suppose, first of all, I'm probably not the most easily of offended offended of people anyway. And I think at times we can maybe lose the run of ourselves and, and maybe being a bit too offended too easily. And But it's an awful look for Brendan Rogers. I don't even think it's the good girl comment. I think it's, if you watch the interview, he's, he just is snarky. Um, he doesn't want to be talking to this particular journalist. Um, mm. And so it does come across incredibly condescending. So it's an awful look for him. Was she pushing him a bit or something? On I, I don't think she was. He made a comment and she she kind of pushed a bit further on it, but it was he had made the comment in the first place. Um, but I just think, yeah, it was a bad look for him. Mm. Whether or not um, it's common use language or not, it's, it's incredibly condescending. And obviously at the moment, there's probably a, a broader issue around this with, with female punditry and things like that. Um, not just in, in, in football, but I suppose in GA and rugby as well. And should women be commentating on men's sport? And absolutely, of course, they should if they're qualified to do so. Um, mm. So like that woman is, is just doing her job and I suppose doesn't deserve to be kind of spoken down to maybe like he does there. But from the other side of things like football and sport in general, is it's a, it's an emotional place. And I think like feelings and emotions can be really heightened as I'm sure a couple of referees around Cork City will probably testify that my own emotions have been heightened at times. Um, yeah. So you just maybe say things without really thinking 
and I would hope that's it as opposed to it being kind of an issue that it was a female journalist um you would hope that, um, but yeah, look, it's, it's a bad look for Brendan Rogers, and I think he would probably acknowledge that as well. Was it sort of his, if you like, his body language towards her, or his demeanour towards her, rather than the words he used? Yeah, for me, that was what stood out lot, a lot more about it. Um, it was his, like, he very much just came across, I, I thought, as you he say, kind of kind He didn't want to continue her. that conversation. No, and look, to be fair, I didn't see any of Brendan Rogers' other interviews that day. He may have been like that across the board with other yeah. journalists. I'm, I'm not sure if he was, but in that one, like, it was just, yeah, and as he said, he came across condescending. But look, as I said, it's, I understand it's an emotional place post-game and stuff like that. And I'm sure if he looks back at it, he's going to cringe a little bit at the way he carried himself, I think. Broaden it out a small bit, um, Eileen, because I've observed watching the rugby as I have been for the last couple of weeks far more female involvement not just in panels not just in commentary we now have a fully professional uh, referee and on the URC tournament in particular there's a wonderful young presenter she's Irish I'm always sure of it on on premier sports women are really getting into the sports presenting and punditry thing and for me they're bringing something fresh and vibrant to it I don't think that's shared by a lot of men, but I certainly feel that way. No, and I suppose if you look at people that have a problem with it, maybe maybe empty vessels make the most noise kind of come to mind at times um, with people who have a problem with females um, work, working in male sport or sport in general. But as you said, like, yeah, Joy Neville obviously has just smashed through the ceiling and she's refereed at a really high level mm. um, in men's rugby and World Cups in, in as you said, the ERC, the Heineken Cup or whatever it's called now, Um and yeah, with as you said, like I, for me, like punditry is is always de- a decisive thing, any a divisive thing anyway. In that, like, some female pundits are terrible, but equally some male pundits are terrible. Yeah. Um, that's the reality of it. Um, but there's some incredibly well qualified and knowledgeable female pundits in in across the sports that I would watch. I, I would often see them, and like, there's not too many female pundits that jump out to me. Um, that are terrible. I know. Look, there's been said a particular character in, in British football who has a major I- issue with female punditry. Joey, like Joey Barton. Joey Barton. Yeah, I would he say, said, yeah, he said any, any, any man who listens to women's commentary or co-commentary needs their heads testing. And I, mean, I heard him say that and I said, did you never hear, Joey, of Eleanor Aldroyd who was doing soccer commentary 20 years ago and was brilliant at it? Yeah, and like somebody like him doesn't really deserve much oxygen. Like this is a person who put a stubbed a cigarette out in an academy player's eye and went to prison as a result. Do you know what I mean? It's not for me. Like his opinion's not worth the whole pile. And like there's been some really good voices on it. And I think Emma Hayes, um, the Chelsea women's manager, spoke up brilliantly um, about it. And like I think sometimes what men don't realise that is they've had a huge amount of privilege in sport. And you see, we talk about female pundits and um, just take rugby like the likes of Fiona Coughlin, Fiona Hayes. Um, even Joy Neville as a referee. Yeah, Joy, like, yeah. So, like, they've obviously come through, um, like, playing rugby at a time where there wasn't anything provided to them. So, like, they had to fight for every single That's thing right. that they got. And do you know what I mean? This wasn't, like, that anything was handed to them. Like, And it's same with, with, with football. The likes of Anya O'Gorman does a lot of punditry with RT, and she's brilliant. Karen mm-hmm. Duggan is the same. She's brilliant. And they had to claw for every every inch they got, like, as players and for respect and stuff like that. And they're more than qualified to give an opinion on, on the sport. Are. It doesn't matter if it's if it's a men's game or a women's game. They're more than qualified. And look, 
I'm around football my entire life and I know an awful lot of football people and the reality is like football people will never have a problem discussing football with me because they know I'd have an okay knowledge of it. Like the only people that will ever have a problem with my knowledge of sport are people who don't have a clue about sport. Well, I was was watching a rugby game. It's a few months ago now, but I heard, I'd never heard of her until I saw her referee a URC game, Holly Davison. She's, She's Scottish. And there yeah. was, you know, the way rugby, some of the decisions can be very picky. And the ref will explain it on the pitch. And of course, the best that ever was was Nigel Owens. But she was explaining a very picky point about why she hadn't awarded a try. And I thought, wow. She was so. Even the two guys said, okay, fair enough, ref. You got me. <laughs> you know, she was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, you know. And and and, and, yeah, I, and I, I was think delighted what you to see have it. To appreciate, you have to probably appreciate is like the, like women in that scenario, like they're aware that every decision they make and every bit of conversation they have that is obviously picked up and rugged by the microphone, it's going to be judged that bit more than if it was a male referee. So they know that. So for that reason, I think the standards that that they set are, are incredible, are that bit higher again. Because mm. look, I know social social media can be brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but social media can be horrible as well and you can see it as I said in the men's world cup last year but RT had a lot of female pundits in for it and like silly remarks like yeah. made about as I said really qualified knowledgeable women yeah, absolutely. Um, on football absolutely you know? I but, think Joy Neville was TMO on a match I was watching at one point and again she, she was the one who had to explain to the ref why he couldn't award something and again the explanation was just spot on I thought, well done, well done, you know. Leave it, stay, stay there, Eileen, bring in Kevin at this stage, because it, it's, it's related. Pat Spillane wrote a piece in the Sunday World. Now, look, Pat Spillane never minced his words in his entire life. But he wrote a piece in the Sunday World about retiring from the Sunday game, saying that he jumped before he was pushed, because he felt that male puddits aged 60 or over are being deliberately excluded in a more... In, in the effort to be more inclusive. Kevin, morning. Morning, PJ. Um, it was an interesting choice of words that he used, wasn't it? Um, PC, so he's, he's throwing out the dog whistles there. And the other one's inclusivity. So what is his problem? He's, the fact that he, we have a female host, two female hosts now for the Sunday game. And you've got a new genre, generation of pundits who are more relevant to the modern game than he than he ever could be? Mm. I mean, the problem I used to have with Sunday game was it was too it was too cozy. You're Descal and he's three mates. If I want to go and hear three mates talk about whatever match we're watching, I'll go down the pub and I'll get a, I'll get about as much useful information out of those three in the corner than I will out of those three on the screen because it's that's what it turned into at the end. They they got too cozy and they mm. got too lazy and too pally and they forgot the fact that they were there to analyse the game. You almost and knew before you went back to the studio what Pat was going to say, having just yeah, watched the game. I mean, look, when you, in the first line of someone comes out with, back in my day, we never did this, that, young. I'm sorry, Pat, Pat's plan is the ruiner of childhoods from kids from Cork in my generation. He destroyed childhoods <laughs> up and down this country and he will never be forgiven for it. A fantastic player. But he was on RTE for over 30 years. He was 68 years of age. He's had his stint. He has a voice in the Sunday world every Sunday. If you want to pontificate on the glories of the world, grand, good luck to him. Mm. But the pundits that the Sunday game are trying to bring through now, still finding their feet as pundits, it's very difficult to get in front of a camera 
and analyse a game that you just watched. Trust me, I do it. <laughs> and it's the, another thing when you're trying to find your public face. These are all people who are generally in their 30s, 40s. Peter Canavan is, the ex- is one of the exceptions. Peter Canavan is 52, but he cut his teeth on Sky during when they were covering I remember the game. That, yeah. Yeah. And, he, and he's, the way he analyzes a game is fantastic. I want to watch a post-match show that tells me something that I don't know. Yeah. I want someone to analyze a game and tell me something that I that happened in the game that I didn't see and why it happened. Or something and, something that happened that you didn't fully understand a decision, exactly. say, and there it is, explained brilliantly. Yeah, rugby are fantastic at it. Football, soccer, not so much. Sky have gone down the red top route now with some of the pundits that they have. And the difference is, you can mark the difference in how Roy Keane was last night on ITV as to how Roy Keane is when he's on Sky. Sky are all about clicks and comments and sound bites to drive social media, to drive content, to drive advertising, to drive revenues. Mm. And you, it's gone down the road. They were brilliant when Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville were doing Monday Night Football and they analysed football and the incidences from the weekend on a Monday night. And I would go out of my way to watch that hour and a half yeah. because I would learn something. After a game now, I learn nothing. I, Gary Neville come out in the League Cup final talking about Chelsea and their million, their billion, billionaire flops or whatever he wanted to label them as. Mauricio Pochettino in his press conference yesterday called him out and said, what have you ever done in your life, Gary? Yeah, I know. You know yeah. What have you done as a manager? You've done nothing. Yeah. You know, it was the famous Conor McGregor line. You'll do nothing. It's, it's a and question of who... It's not, I don't think... Well, I, I know there's far more women involved in punditry and presentation now. I wish I could remember the name of the girl on Premier Sports presenting the rugby. She's absolutely fantastic. And she's not afraid to ask hard questions of her panellists either. She really is good. Um, but just for the two of you to, to sum up, like, is this... What's all this about? Why is there so much pushback against the inclusion, do you think? Eileen, you first, obviously. Um, why do you think there's so much pushback against the inclusion of more women in presentation and in punditry? I'm not sure. Is it maybe a little bit of insecurity? Sorry if I'm insulting all of those people with that opinion out there. But I think Kevin hit the nail on the head there. Like, GA has evolved. Every sport evolves and every every sport changes and like it's not a case of excluding people, but maybe having people that are more um, relevant to a generation. Of, I said like football is not the same game now as it was ten years ago, and like he's dead right about Sky. Like it, it's it's probably become more of an entertainment package than than a football game at times. Um, and like that, like the Monday night used to be great. And to be fair, if you look at Sky and their coverage of the women's league, it is a lot more punditry based because they're not looking necessarily for just those clicks. They analyze the game and and things like that. But um, I think, look, essentially we're living in a society where people like giving out and people kind of like finding something that upsets them and, and kind of running with it and mm. maybe being offensive for the sake of being offensive to people. And look, I said, I'm not somebody who's easily offended and like you're never going to agree with every pundit. But he said, when you tune into a sport, um, you want someone who's qualified to be there, who knows enough about the sport. That as, you, as Kevin just said there, that when you leave, you said, yeah, do you know, what? actually, I didn't look at the game and think of that. That's yeah. what you want, and that's what a good pundit does. And like for me, I wouldn't be incredibly knowledgeable at all about rugby. And I like when I watch rugby that a lot of the time you walk away and I say, "Oh yeah, I would have, I wouldn't have thought of that. I didn't know why that decision was made, but it's, right. it's explained to you." And and I think that's what you want. That's but, right. That's right. O'Reilly uh, is that presenter, by the way. Thank goodness. I don't know who pulled her name up on screen there for me. Ashton O'Reilly. She's fant- she's fantastic. Kev, you see yeah, more right. more 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 women on panels and more women presenting. Yep. 
And I'll tell you what, we, we do with our podcast, some of the, um, the, the content creators, the, the female content creators that are out there at the minute, and I see some of the abuse that they get, but the content that they do is fantastic. And they have to, tr- to be so much better. They have to be to do it so much more articulate because the abuse and the stick that they get. The likes of Joy Barton. Joy Barton has realised that what he's spouting creates money for him. And I see more and more women podcasters out there now that are so brilliant at what they do. And the more I see it, the more I want to engage with them and the more I want to drive their content and help them and just be involved with it because it, it's... It's changing and it's inclusive and you're learning more, you're learning a different perspective of how the game is watched, especially watching Sky's coverage of the women's game because it's on Sky's, Sky 1, it's on their free-to-wear package, yeah. more or less. So everyone gets to see it and the analysis is fantastic. Yeah. And you're getting to learn the players, you're getting to meet the players for the first time through these pundits and they're all relevant because they're newly retired from the game. Yeah, they were only so playing. They were only playing it a few uh, a few months ago, and and they're really up to speed with how the game is going on the pitch, as it were. Eileen, thank you, Eileen Ring, and Kev, uh, thank you both. For, it's just an interesting one. I'm yes, Ashling O'Reilly, she's fantastic, and that Scottish referee Holly Davison. I can't record the match that she was refing, um, but it was in the URC, and there was a controversial call. And the two players involved weren't happy. And she stood there and she explained it in the middle of the pitch. And everybody got it. There and then, uh, she got it. Speaking of sport, Premier League Live is back this weekend uh, on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh and the team. Uh, they have got live coverage of North Forest and Liverpool at three and Luton Town against Aston Villa at half five, powered by TalkSport and of course all the other action from around the grounds as it happens. Premier League Live Online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Corks 96FM app or go to 96fm.ie Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. For fantastic quality and great taste guaranteed. Choose Griffin's Potatoes. And roosters. Corks 96 FM. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Corks 96 FM. We've talked before to the people at the Donkey Welfare Sanctuary, the Donkey Sanctuary Visitor Centre in Liscarroll in County Cork. It won a wonderful award there recently, the best tourist attraction, free admission, as an honour. Uh, to its work in uh, saving and giving a new lease of life, so to speak, to neglected donkeys and mules. Cathy Griffin is head of the head of operations, as it were, down there. Congratulations on that, Cathy. But I see you guys are full. You can take no more donkeys. And there are a lot of neglected donkeys and mules out there. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, unfortunately, there is. Um, we've never been busier. And there is an animal welfare crisis in Ireland at the moment, and donkeys are very much involved in that. Sadly, um, there are just too many donkeys in Ireland. Not enough homes. We think so much about horses. We don't think about donkeys. 
Uh, donkeys are often, I, I think people think of donkeys as little horses with big ears and they're not. They're, they're a separate species, very different needs. And as a result of that, they often become neglected um, just through a lack of understanding of their needs. Yeah. The, the cutest thing on four legs, or, or one of them anyway, well, what's the origin of the common garden donkey? You say they're not, they're not a small horse with big ears. They're, they're a different species. Yeah, so they're part of the, the equine family of horses, ponies, mules, donkeys, zebra and are in that as well. So donkeys originated actually very far from Ireland. People think of them as Irish animals because they're so ingrained in, in our in our culture and agriculture. Um but where they're not, they're they're designed and evolved to live in desert environments, the dry, arid conditions really? where they have to walk for miles and miles and miles every day to find little scraps of dried vegetation to eat. And as a result of that, when they find themselves in Ireland in that lush paddock with wet ground and lots of rain, it, they're not prepared for it. They're not evolved for that. Mm. So we, you you have to make um, you have to make the right conditions for them to be able to survive mm. well and thrive. Not just to survive, but actually thrive and have a good life. So they're Middle Eastern, and of course there are references to donkeys in the Bible, um, where, where Mary rode a donkey. Didn't she rode a donkey Absolutely. to Bethlehem? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and I mean that where they originate from, and and parts of Africa as well. And they're quite there's quite a lot of donkeys in in Europe as well, and some of which are are still used for work. Which obviously that's why they originally came to Ireland yeah. was to replace horses as a you know a cheaper way of of providing transport and um, work on farms. Yeah, great, great working not. animals. They have a short enough career though, and that's kind of what possibly why they end up getting neglected. You've got some superstars, Tweety and Bluebird, being two. Tell me about them. Yeah, so they are foals that were born with us um, last summer and they came to us with, well, they didn't come to us, their mothers came to us already pregnant. We would have a, a strict non-breeding policy because we, there are too many donkeys in Ireland. So we, we encourage people not to breed from their donkeys and to give a home to a rescue donkey instead of breeding. Because donkeys can live, little Tweety there will live with us for potentially up to 40 years or even beyond. Mm. It's a huge commitment. Um, the average lifespan for donkeys into their late 20s, but many of them go on into their 30s and 40s. Wow. So people will say that a dog's for life, not for Christmas, but a donkey could be for your lifespan, not just the donkey's lifespan. So you've got to really consider the commitment if you're going to breed a foal. Mm. Who's going to take care donkey of that? Donkey make a, slighter, be, a slightly bigger mess in the kitchen, though. That's the only thing. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very true. So those, those foals were born to us because, unfortunately, their mothers were severely neglected. They were part of a large case we, we took on in County Galway and the Department of Agriculture helped us with that because they are authorised officers. We're not, so we do rely on the authorised officers. But they were a large group of donkeys that were allowed to just run feral, really, with no care. Their hooves were in dreadful condition. There was already a dead donkey on site. Uh-huh. Um, the mares were really struggling to feed the foals they already had. They had foals from the previous year still with them and were heavily pregnant. So we were able to find space um, and they really did take up the last of the space we had. Of We took in the four pregnant mares with the three surviving foals okay. that they already had. Yeah. Those four mares have since given birth to four foals. So that's it. That's a huge commitment. For you're absolute, you're absolutely slammed out there. Can people foster donkeys? Like, can they adopt donkeys if they have the right facilities? Yes. So we have, we have what we call our rehoming scheme where you can become a donkey guardian and it's effectively a long-term foster. So we would do 
all the support in the beginning to get you set up. If you're interested in donkeys, we do a training course, all free of charge. Our donkey welfare advisors cover all of Ireland and we would come out and we would give you all the support and advice and training you need. And we would let you know if you know if you're if you're suitable to have donkeys or what you would need to do to be able to give donkeys a good life. And if you would like to, then we can go on our rehoming scheme where you take two of our donkeys out into your home, or we can locate donkeys in the community who are desperately in need of a home, and there isn't sanctuary space for them. So we rehome a lot of donkeys through moving them from a private home who can no longer keep them to a new private home who would like to take donkeys if we can find a suitable match for them. And that helps to avoid donkeys having to come into sanctuary care where we don't have space and a lot of the other equine rescues don't have space either. You one best free tourist attraction, best free admission tourist attraction, which is some accolade. I must get up there during the summer to see to see the donkeys. I'd love to see them because you'd be weak for them, wouldn't you? You'd be weak for a little donkey. Uh, There's some lovely photos as well and photo opportunities. And I know people love to see me photoed with photographed with a donkey, and they could do all sorts of things. Spot the donkey. Thank you, Cathy. Cathy is the Head of Operations at the Donkey Welfare Sanctuary in Liscarroll. I'm definitely going up there at some stage during the summer. 0818 96 96 96. Just on ambulances, my missus broke her leg at home three years ago. I rang the ambulance on a Sunday at 11, having been dispatched from Thurless. We live on Blarney Street. We're half a mile to the mercy. And that's where they brought us. <sighs> wow. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969 9696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. I have so much to do between now and quicken time, including trying to shift 5,200. And 50 quid. Like, did anybody think when we brought you this one, I think it might be this day last week now, we brought you this one on the word, or yeah, I think it might be, that it would last and go to 5,250 euro. I met the coolest dog, the dog's name. It's My mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. Yeah. <laughs> Another incorrect guess this morning, Daisy. So it's not Daisy, it's not Rolo. It's not any of those names. What is the do- what is the dog's flipping name? There's people going around town now asking each other, what's the dog's name? 5,250 euro on the word, if you think you know. Text your name, just your name, to 083 396 We'll pick... A contestant before the end of the show. What is the word? And remember, this one, unlike other competitions, is free to enter. Completely free to enter. Just a text to 083 396 96 96. Now, I want you to have a listen to this. Last week, we talked to Father Chris Ponnett. Uh, he was taking part in a religious congress in Los Angeles, and he was about to also take part in a mass to commemorate the anniversary of his great friend, Bishop Dave. Uh, Bishop Dave from Glenmire, 
who he knew for many uh, decades and they were dear, dear friends. And Bishop Dave, as we know, was murdered last year in his house in Los Angeles. And I think it's fair to say that very few of us, if any of us, knew back then. First of all, we didn't know that there was a bishop in Los Angeles that was from Glenmire. And we certainly, if we knew that, didn't know what kind of a legend this man actually was. And we learned from Father Chris that he used to talk to families of young people caught up in gangs. He tried to get young kids out of gangs. He crossed lines just because the lines were there. He spoke fluent Spanish, with never lost his Cork accent, but spoke fluent Spanish and was able to go in and negotiate in gangland situations. The man was an absolute legend. And he also had very outspoken views on family and the church's response to families. And here's a piece of audio that I had never heard before. And we'll find out afterwards why. There's a reason why you never heard this. Pope Francis, he gets it. He gets it that, that, that our society has changed so much in, in the last couple of generations. We have all sorts of configurations of, of, of families. Whether it's uh, just a traditional family of mum and dad together, or it's now uh, mum on her own, or dad on his own, or a gay couple raising children, or um, uh, people in second marriages. Um, the, no matter what configuration the family is, the call is still to, 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 to adults to think about how to provide the best, most loving, faithful environment for children possible. Now, that was supposed to be played at the World Meeting of Families in Dublin in 2018, but it never got played. Why, I wonder? Dara, morning, you were there. PJ, a very good morning to you. Um, just listening Bishop Dave's words really touches my heart. Yeah, um, he was asked uh, to submit, as as many were around the world in 2018 for the World Meeting of Families, which was in Dublin, uh, he was asked to submit his thoughts on family. And unfortunately, because I would imagine that he referred to gay couples or same-sex couples, mm. uh, it was pulled from the final... Um, Promotional video, if you want to call it that. Um, I I knew Bishop Dave. I'd met him once. I I would have known his family particularly well. Um, He celebrated Mass in Los Angeles the morning of my own mother's funeral here. Okay. Um, And he was was such a powerful man. And last year after his very tragic death, um, which had a profound effect on me, I started watching many of his videos on YouTube. I wasn't aware he had videos or that he had talks on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And one that struck out at me, and listeners in Cork will be very familiar with the the Corpus Christi procession every year. Yeah. The, you know, and Nothing like as big as it used to be, did, but it's still there. Yeah, It's still there, but he did something similar but different. He went and he took the monstrance, and he took it to the high peaks around Los Angeles. Just him and a film crew. 
And it reminded me almost of Bishop Edward Daly when we think of Bloody Sunday. Mm. Bishop Edward was there with the white handkerchief. And here was Bishop Dave calling out for peace with the monstrance. That mm. clip... You, you better explain to younger listeners, Dara, and people who wouldn't know what a monstrance is. Well, a monstrance is a vessel for carrying the Blessed Sacrament. Okay. Uh, you know, um, the piece of bread, if you want to call it that. I'm not being sacrilegious when no, I no, say no, that. No, 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 But it's just usually very well decorated and it's kind of gold and glass and it's a, it's a very well, important what, part. What it is. What Bishop Dave used was not adorned with gold. It was very, very simple. Okay. But he was, he was known in South Central LA as the peacemaker. Mm. And as you referred to in your intro, um, he, he hung out with the kind of people that maybe we wouldn't like to hang out with. Right. He was called in to by the gangs in, in L.A. Uh, they trusted him That's right. because he brought a sincerity with him. Now, for me personally, um, knowing his views or his love and acceptance for people who are gay or lesbian or, look, just call it members of the LGBTQIA community, that filled me with great hope. I know it filled my mum with great hope because her big concern was with me transitioning, how would I fare out with my own relationship with the church? Mm. Um, and I have to be honest, my own relationship with the church is not great. Um, last year, as you probably well know, I, I had a bit of a mental breakdown and I, I I took a pause on my transitioning, having consulted with my clinicians. And the amazing thing was, when I took the pause, I started getting phone calls to go singing at Mass. Mm. But when I went back into my transition again in November, those phone calls stopped. And Christmas just gone was the first time in my life that I haven't been involved in any Mass at Christmas but I spent my day at Penny Dinners. Katrina Toomey invited me to come along and I sang for those people. And it reminded me in ways of what Bishop Dave would do. Yeah. He would have been on Christmas Day. He would have been with, you know, the the poor, the homeless, mm. sharing and giving. I heard stories of him. like to me on Christmas Day. A space of killings between two gangs and it was getting out of control he walked into the space between the two of them and said to the two leaders, come here ye, in Spanish, come here, we need yeah. to talk. The two of them. And I think, what they loved, I think what they loved about him, PJ, is that he had a tremendous sense of humour. An unbelievable sense of humour. That he could actually bring men of anger together and make them laugh. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, I, I'm still reading reports about him, about his life in L.A. Like, he never wanted to be a bishop. All he ever wanted to be was a priest because he had one parish to look after. When he was, when he was ordained a bishop, he had 60 parishes to look after. Yeah. And the responsibility that came with that. But talking to people, there was a memorial mass in Glonthorn last year for him. And talking to one of his dearest friends, Father Jarth, a Sligo man, um, he's, he said to me that he was getting letters from gangs, gang members in, in L.A. 
expressing their sympathies on the loss of their champion. Amazing, isn't it? How do Dara, uh, he seems to have been a complete once-off. Like, the, he, the, he, he broke the mould, but... Like, how come we never heard of him? Well, I suppose, you know, he, he was a very humble man. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved Cork. He absolutely loved Cork, and he loved coming home. But there was no pomp and ceremony when he came home. Yeah. When he came home, it was Dave O'Connell that came home. It wasn't the bishop. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he loved Cork. But when he was over there, he wasn't looking to make headlines. He wasn't looking to, you know, see how many likes he got on his latest Instagram post. No. He was doing his work quietly in the back, you know, doing what he loved. I thought the funniest thing I read was the fact that when he went over there and discovered when he was placed there as a priest that he was going to be in a Spanish-speaking district. He set about learning Spanish. He was fluent in a year, but to the day he died, God rest him, he, he spoke Spanish with a thick Cork accent. Can you imagine that? If I could just share a funny story, PJ, about give, Bishop Give me, Dave. Give me one, because I'm on a bit of pressure, Dara. Yeah, one quick yeah, one. Yeah, but with his friend Father Jarlath from Sligo, uh, Bishop Dave, you say to him all the time, what's the difference between a Corkman and a Sligo man? And the difference was a Corkman would leave and never say goodbye. A Sligo man would say goodbye and never leave. <laughs> and this was the, the tone of Bishop Dave's funeral, that people didn't have that opportunity to say goodbye to him. Yeah. Yeah, it happens so often. Cut short so tragically. It happens so often with the good ones. Darren, thank you very much. That's uh, Darren again, remembering uh, Bishop Dave. Uh, 0818969696. What a legend we had living among, well, from among us, and we never knew. I need to pop down very quickly to the everyman because this man is out of rehearsals uh, for his latest production uh, called Get Man. Um, Ty Kiki, back to the stage. Back to a one-man show and talking about drink again. I thought you'd given that up. Good morning, sir. How you doing? How you doing? I like to flog a, flog a dead horse, uh, PJ, as you know. You know. So, uh, <laughs> but what I would say to people is, it's not as autobiographical as last time. So, um, it's not me pouring my heart out as much. Like it's much more of a kind of a, a show, like a theatrical production. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never in my life been involved. In a in a team with a team like this before in theatre, like it's it's an all star team. So I have a lot of help on stage. So it's a one man show, but it, unfortunately, it'll be the type of show that people mightn't be looking at me as much as I would like. Mm. You know, because there's a lot going on. Put it that way, like you know. So not great for the ego, but it'll be a great show. You definitely should come out and see it. <laughs> it's about a fella called Morph who has a relationship with drink they probably shouldn't have. Correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So Murph is uh, he's on the verge of being homeless um, because he's kind of a, what we would call a party boy, but suddenly he's kind of in his mid-30s and he's not allowed to see his kid and he's still partying. And now the parties are on the street as opposed to in nightclubs and stuff. Um, so he's at that on the precipice of kind of, I suppose, falling into the hole. And uh, in his head, he's still quite a, a superhero. So that so I've tried to make that literal that like you get his inner life and then you get the life that he's talking about on the street and the inner life is this completely uh, fictional obviously mad superhero story set in Cork with involving Father Matthew uh, statue obviously like the temperance priest he comes back to life and he's trying to track him down he's trying to track down the uh, superhero that Murph is which is 
Gap Man and obviously Gap being being drinks. So there'll just be a small amount of us in Cork that'll get the reference, BJ. I think I'm going to struggle probably internationally uh, with the old Gat reference, but we'll cross those bridges when we, when yeah. we come to Gat, them. Gat, Gat, Gat Man is who he turns into when he has yeah. the, few, the few drinks. Exactly. And, and his so, mind is torn between, between being Morph and being Gat Man and, and the difficulty that the two are causing for him. Exactly. So it's almost like, you know, the Walter Mitty thing of like what's going on in the fella who's fueled by drinks head, the kind of fantasy life. So it's hopefully that brought to its logical conclusion where I think the best of us kind of think that we, we somehow possess special powers when we're drunk. But it's almost like the kind of teenage fantasy uh, logical conclusion of that. Like he's a full bona fide uh, superhero with special powers. And he believes that if he stops drinking, he's going to lose those special powers. And that's kind of the, hopefully, where the drama and a lot of the comedy is, is in. in what's, that the me- what's the message in it for us then, Tig? Oh, that's a good question. In fact, that's what they just asked me there now after the run I just did. <laughs> um, I don't think it's a bleak message anywhere, for sure. Again, it's just kind of capturing, I suppose, the, uh, the full gamut of the, the drinking experience, that uh, it's tragic in some levels, and it's also hilarious on other levels, and it's, it's mad... And uh, it's also, the, the show is also in many ways a love letter to Cork. Like it's set in Cork and the map of Cork features in it. Like it's, you're in Finbar's Cathedral and uh, Shandon Street and UCC. And it's kind of about, the, the, the kind of fabric of the city is a big part of both worlds, both the ordinary story of Murph, but also the superhero story. So if you ever wanted to see, if you've ever been to the cinema and seen a superhero movie and thought, I would actually prefer if this was set in Cork, <laughs> this is the show for you. <laughs> <laughs> There's been many films like that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I think it's high time that Cork has featured in a superhero uh, scenario. So, um, so yeah, first stop theatre, and I think then hopefully cinema. You run at the Everyman on the 9th of March, just the one night. Um, so I think it's the seventh, eighth, and ninth. But there's a couple of previews, yeah. Okay. And the ninth is the opening, is the opening night. We come back, I think, in in August, and it'll go to Dublin in um, September. But I know your listeners are not interested in anything that's going on in Dublin. I, I, I wonder like how the John, Dubs PJ. will take a homage to Cork. Well, they'll have to deal with it, PJ. They'll just have to deal with it, kid. <laughs> <laughs> they've they've had enough attention on them, I think. Like, so it's time it's time the Cork is brought back into the centre in its yeah. rightful place. That's what you said about movies here. The San 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 Andreas Fault is a, an old movie that Richard would love to see rebooted and set in Cork. You think of any others? <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, that's a good. I think Julius Caesar would be better in Cork. Both the play and the... Uh, and <laughs> how, how, how about Fast and the Furious out the link? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you should get a thing going with that, definitely. Get a, get a suggestion and start building a movement. Remakes in Cork, I'd be well up for it. <laughs> Listen, good luck with it, as always. Uh, You're tight, boy, thank you. Good luck with it, take care of yourself. That's the great Tyke Hickey. Gatman uh, is at the Everyman next weekend. It's Saturday of March. He said there are previews. We'll, we'll get the exact details of when it's on. It'll be back at the end of the summer. And it's going to, to Dublin as well. Latest production by the the the, the ledge that is uh, Ty Kiki. Thank you, Ty. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. All right, I have a bunch of stuff I need to clear on road safety, and I have to do it next. Lorena and Ross in the morning, weekdays when you wake up on Quartz ninety six FM. Experts. 
in AI are predicting that BBC soaps could be made entirely by AI in the next three to five years. That's scary. I'm going to give you the EastEnders beat. Okay. You just give me the final line of an AI-generated EastEnders episode. Action! It is your child that is in my belly that we did something to make it. I love you so much. Pa- please pass the wine. I'd watch it. Good as Lorraine and Ross in the morning. With no DC cars, the place to order your 2024 Skoda. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Open 24-7 at nulldc.com. Cork's 96 Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Right, some stuff to clear. But first of all, I wanted to tell you earlier on about the 29th of February, which is Leap Day. Why do we do it and why does it prove that I'm right about the start of spring, which is tomorrow the 1st of March? Well, the reason we do it is very simple. Our year is not exactly 365 days. It's 365 days and a few hours. So every four years, we have the additional day to reset the clock. If we didn't reset the clock the solstices would move. So you'd have the summer solstice in June and you'd have the winter solstice would almost be into January by the time it came round. Same would happen in spring when you have the equinox in March would move. So if those things would move, so to stop them moving, we have this extra day which resets the clock. It resets on the 29th of February because... The first of the solstices, the first of the equinoxes is in March, the spring one. So spring starts on the first of March, and every four years we have the extra day to reset the clock to make sure that spring starts the first of March. You see, I told you I was right about it. So we reset the clock. There's an extra few hours in the year. It's about six and a half hours in the year, 365 days and six and a half hours, just how it is. So we reset the clock every four years. Otherwise, our seasons would move. Simple, isn't it? 0818 96 96 96. I need to mention this because it's, it's going to be honest before we know it. The Cork's 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 23rd to 25th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. I'll be there for you. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, now is the time. Now is the time to start thinking what will I do for Radiothon 2024 if you want assistance with that coffee morning change collection uniform day no uniform day something strange we've never heard of table quiz anything and all you want to do for the Cork 96 of M giving living Radiothon you can pop on the website now 96fm.ie and search for Radiothon and all the info is there and how we will help you to run a Radiothon event for us we kick off here on the 23rd of May. It will be with us before you know it. 0818 96 96 96. Let me go back to some of my comments. Actually, off the back of that, ambulances and the delay in ambulances, listening to the crisis, listening to other things like the waiting lists and housing. I don't think that any one political party can fix all of our problems. Part of the issue is that we have talented people spread among so many different parties. Maybe a national government would have a better chance. People have said that. People who get paid more than you and me put together and don't know who you are have said maybe that would be an idea for a few years. 
a national government with the best of everyone sitting around the table. That'd be interesting. Right, let's get to road safety. We spoke and we will um, podcast this. Albert Toomey was on with me this morning about this proposal from the EU that we would have medicals for drivers every 15 years or so. Elber says, great to have medicals, but listen, five years, minimum five years. Um, and, and we have to. That was her take on it. And we're also discussing why it's only the 29th of February and we have 36 people dead on the roads. It's, it's the worst year in, in many, many years, so far anyway. And with quite a number, quite a number of... Um, of comments. Gillian says on the road safety topic, on Galashikana should do a, do a talk schools and businesses called the Lifesaver Project, focusing on driver behaviour, shows collisions and the effects of using a phone. That's Gillian. As you're talking road safety, I'm a taxi driver. The number of people I see on the road driving with dogs on their laps. Absolute muppets. This is dangerous. It's an accident waiting to happen. Paul O'Reardon on the 15-year medical. More important, I think, to teach young people to drive properly and have an upgrade in their driver's skills every few years. I've been thinking about this a long time. It should start in the schools. I'd be more in favour of retests, even if we introduced an oral test or an online test to phase it in. There has to be a, 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 a pilot, for example, he says, has to take refresher courses and upgrade courses, something like that would work. Just someone here signs their name, doesn't say their name, says I have to do a medical every year or I'd have no job. PJ, no. This will only become another expense on the motorist. The government will jump on the bandwagon and charge us through the nose for it. I'm a taxi driver doing a school run. I have to do a medical every three years. Brian says I always go by one motto look after the road. The road will look after you. Speed's the biggest problem. There should be speed cut off. In new engines, maybe phase it in for first-time drivers. That would save lives. PJ, the majority of accidents involve young people, not the older, more experienced drivers, Suzanne. Breeda, I voluntarily gave up my licence about three months ago. I just wasn't confident with my arthritis that I'd be able to brake quickly enough. I was driving since I was 16. I miss it, but it was the right thing to do. Rita says, I've been driving for years. I go and collect my grandchildren. I drive through Dunkettle every day. I try to go at the speed limit, but that's never fast enough for some of the other drivers, especially van drivers. They've no patience. In theory, says Michael, this is a good idea, but we know that those who currently drive without insurance, NCT or driver's license just won't bother anyway. They're the real danger to the public. John was saying we should have higher fines, much, much higher fines, and put people off the road for, like, using their phone or speeding. In fairness, John has a point, says this message. At the moment, it's 160 fixed fine and three points. Most cars are now hands-free for phones. In modern cars, it's even incorporated into the car. There's no excuse to have a phone in your hand. The conditions of the roads is also abysmal. And drivers are more brazen too. On the medical checks, I know someone who has epilepsy and is still driving and had a recent crash near children. If they'd been required to do a medical test, they'd be off the road and the community would be safer. If you have epilepsy, if you have 
an epileptic seizure and you're diagnosed with epilepsy, you have to be, I think, off the road until you're seizure-free for a year. I believe you have to give up your licence for a year until you're seizure-free and your doctor is prepared to sign off on the fact that you're seizure-free. Dave says all professional drivers, bus and truck, have a medical every five years. You can't renew your licence without it. It's also for HGV, so it's not new. Daniel, in Finland, if you're caught going 20 miles an hour over the limit, the fine is means-tested. Maybe they should that too. Yeah, you see, there's a lot of support for it. Uh, but Bernie doesn't agree. She thinks it takes the focus off other things like road rage and speed and distractions. Then Margaret asked us to consider something else which came up a few weeks ago. LED lights. She said, they're too powerful. They blind you at night when the vehicle's coming towards you or is behind you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, observing that one, Margaret, since people brought it up a few weeks ago, I think if the lights are set better in your car, it doesn't happen. But certainly, if the lights are offset in a car, LEDs are far brighter. Kevin, the French are never happy. They're pushing back against this. There's a single downside to this. So you go to your GP for a physical. I'm completely with Elber. It should be a sliding scale once you hit 40 every five years. And after 65, it should be annual. Aileen has multiple sclerosis. It's stated on her license. Every 10 years and sometimes five years, I have to have tests. You've got to renew your license and redo your medical. So unless someone states they have a medical condition, they won't have to do it for their license. And Billy lastly says there's about 100,000 more people using the roads in Ireland. That will increase deaths. What about the extra cost to drivers? A report would probably cost 60 euro. I have no problem doing it. It needs to be well thought out. A good one with that this morning. Good engagement. Good discussion on all of our platforms. Five yearly medicals for drivers. That's Elbert Tooby's idea. The EU is toying around with 15. 0818969696. You might remember this is a few months ago now. Might even be as far back as the autumn of last year. I was wandering into town one morning. Uh, I'd taken the bus in. It was a lovely morning. I was walking through town. And I came across graffiti on Princess Street. And whatever look I gave, I just thought it looked awful. Awful. Really, really awful. <laughs> And I took a, a little video of it and I put it up on Instagram and I mentioned it here that Princess Street looked grotty. It looked just horrible. Um, and at the time, Andy, you kind of chimed in and others chimed in on it saying that our city looked drab and that it was just looked terribly messy in the early hours of the morning. Um, you are spending a lot of time these days around Manchester and you've seen that it too has quite a lot of graffiti, but they've a different attitude, have they? Good morning, Andy. Morning, PJ. Um, actually, I was listening that morning. I think it was, yeah, you're correct. It was around August. I think that's the morning you were walking through uh, Prince Street. I was actually in Manchester at the time listening. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, like the, we say, the Northern Quarter in uh, in Manchester, which is deemed to be one of the, the cooler areas. It was just, I've, I've sent on the pictures to Fergal, you you've, you've, you've seen them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, I mean, that, that's vandalism now, to me. Absolutely, but like, in comparison to 
we've seen, the pictures that we've seen lately here of graffiti. The graffiti here seems to be on, no, not condoning graffiti in any shape or manner, but it seems to be on hoarding or we say disused buildings as mm. opposed to the graffiti in Manchester's on buildings that are actually in use, beautiful Victorian buildings. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, big companies in the Northern Quarter have offices, um, like I mean, Umbro, the sports brand. Mm. They're their um their headquarters would be there and would be destroyed as well with graffiti. I mean, like actually functioning businesses as opposed to places that are just closed and run down. Yeah. That yeah. seem to be, you know, um subject to graffiti when places close. Yeah. But um what I felt about Prince Street, I was on shutters now that people would put down over doors and windows. So that when you opened yeah, the door yeah. it was gone up and you wouldn't see it again till till the night time. I just thought it it took from from the from the place, yeah. It's and as I said, I might be repeating myself, but these one the ones in Manchester are actually functioning businesses where it's it's not even on well it's on the shutters, but it's also on the as I said beautiful Victorian uh, yeah. facets, um, and it's it's not um, obviously it's not isolated. It seems to be everywhere in the northern quarter. Mm. Um, and what's the response to but, it over there? Do do people just walk past it and not care or what? That's, it just seems to be, I don't know, it's, it's a strange, Paratone, I suppose it can be a strange city too. I mean, like, it, it's famed for football, fashion and music. And they just have this kind of sense of, it's not about arrogance or arrogance, it's just like, they're kind of too cool. You know, it doesn't It doesn't seem to phase them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, just last, last December, um, the fashion brand Chanel. Yes, um, they cordoned off a street there and actually constructed a roof over a street in one of these areas of the Northern Quarter for a fashion show. Oh, so oh. the investment there from big business is huge, but it still doesn't kind of transit onto the, the street as invisibly. Yeah, yeah. Oh. You also sent us pictures, and how far from the pictures of the graffiti that you sent us are those really swanky Celebrity mentions. <laughs> they're actually not celebrity mentions. They're just, you know, they're. Um, it's about I said twenty twenty five minutes by right. train. Right, right. Yeah, you're that's you know, that's it's an area called Nutsford. Um, it's what we said, Nutsford. There's all Liege and Wilmslow. It's affectionately known as the Golden Triangle. Yes, yeah. So it's incredible. Yeah, it's and just the diversity of wealth in the city is just it's it's scary. I know every city has that um diversity um and that big gap in wealth. But I've never seen it, yeah. you know, as apparent, you know, as so in your face. Yeah. Um, I know because I, I was only how close it, I was only how close it was to, to the graffiti like you said, it's a train right away, but everywhere is a train right away in a place like, like Manchester. At the time that, that I was talking about this the council um, were concerned, and just in the last couple of days, they've called for a task force to tackle graffiti in the city centre. Um, you know, the, the, no, no sign of anyone in Manchester wanting to do that. They're just getting on with it. It's kind of look, it's it's there, and get on with it. That's the best of my knowledge. Maybe there is behind the scenes, but it's just. Um yeah, they just go about their daily business in these places. And I said, I mean, these areas are the hive of, you know, you know, activity. It's not that they're um, 
you know, forgotten areas of Manchester. They're they're quite vibrant. I mean, there's a lot of big brands in, and it's just it's it's awful to see. Yeah, like our, um, council, our council tying itself up in knots about it. And look, to be fair, I had a bad reaction that morning. Whereas in Manchester, look, it's it's they have the reason to blind bit of worry about it really, on, on a broader scale. Yeah. <laughs> are we, are we overthinking it? Maybe, Andy. Are we overthinking it? Um, the graffiti here. Yeah. In comparison to other cities, yeah, yes, absolutely. This is absolutely a very clean city in comparison to other cities. Yeah. No, what I mean I is, call, in, in terms of yeah. in terms of graffiti in other cities, that like, are we overthinking the problem of graffiti? Are we making it too big a thing? Um, whereas in other places like Manchester and, and other cities, I'm sure they just get on with life. And- uh, I suppose it depends on the maybe some graffiti can be absolutely fantastic, you know. Yes, yes. Um, you know, and then again, it, it, suppose it goes back to it's all in the eye of the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know yeah. what one person might think is beautiful, you know, and they're just thinking out loud there. I mean, okay, these guys that do graffiti, it's unwarranted, it's unsolicited. But you have the likes of banks, you then do something on the, uh, painting on the side of a wall mm. without, without um, being allowed to do it. Yes. And, you know, it's you just you have to say what is, beautif- what is beautiful and what is not beautiful. Yes. What is art and what is vandalism? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, but as I said, it just seems to be in Manchester, they just kind of, it's not that turn a blind eye to it. I think it's part of the culture. They know that it's just, you know. And didn't, didn't Banksy start as just one of these taggers going around tagging his name in spray paint? I think, I think he's, well, wherever, I think he's from Bristol. Um, but it's just, um, as I said, that morning you mentioned about Princess Street. I was like, I sent the pictures on to Fergal. And if you only saw the inner city in yeah. Manchester, you'd realise we have a very, very, very clean city. Doesn't it? It no. doesn't. It doesn't bother them that much over there. Maybe we're overthinking it and probably have a cleaner city than we appreciate. Andrew, thank you. Uh, well done on adding to that topic. Broader. They don't care in Manchester. It, it's just there. We we winders. So do we? And am I guilty of it? Winding myself up in knots about a bit of graffiti that other cities around the world just don't care about. They just don't care. They just get on with it. Thank you, Andrew. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Right, one last chance to get in on this today. I met the coolest dog. The dog's name. <laughs> My mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. Yeah. <laughs> 5,250 euro in the pot, if you can guess it this hour on the opinion line. What is the word? Just your name, please. 083 396 I will get to that in five or six minutes. But I want to go back to road safety and, and the various things we've been talking about this morning. Um, Councillor Kenneth Collins, but you've taken off your councillor hat and put on your truck driver hat, Ken. Um, because that's what you do for for a living. What do you think of this whole road safety debate? Good morning. Oh, he's on the line rather than the WhatsApp. Okay, Ken. Sorry. Ken, you, you drive a truck, so you have to take tests every so often, do you? 
yeah, it's compulsory that uh, truck drivers and bus drivers have to do a CPC course uh, one a year. That's five modules, six if there was if you're doing truck and bus. Right. Um, and basically, it's just educating us. Now it's the same course that it's it's hard enough for truck drivers to sit down for seven hours. You mm-hmm. have to do it. It's mandatory. It's seven hours. Yep, yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's all about education. And if you educate children in school, you know, how to drive, maybe in, in, in fourth year, in transition year, and, and get their license through that way, they might understand how to uh, manage a car, how speed limits and whatnot. Mm. Um, like in the UK, if you get penalty points, you have an option of going back to school for a day and getting your penalty points removed. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, yeah. So, look, we we do, truck drivers do have to do uh, every 10 years. I have to change my license. It's a 10-year license I have. Mm. But I have to do an eye test and I have to get a medical. Uh, it's compulsory. Mm. has to go with my license. has to go on my file. Um, so, you know, it's all about education. How would you so feel about us all, as the EU is discussing, how was about us all having to have a medical every period of years? Well, do you know what? Every 15 years is a bit far out, I would think. Maybe 10, bring it back a small bit. Yeah. Um, I think it's important because you don't know what's happening. You have very fit people out running marathons and people, unfortunately, get heart attacks running marathons and they can be the fittest people. And if they're driving a car, it's, 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 it's a weapon in itself or a yeah. truck. Yeah. You know, um, and truck drivers are, and bus drivers are probably one of the safest on the road. Mm-hmm. You know, statistics do say that you know we are safest, safety, uh, safety force. You've got to be ready. Um, you've got to be ready for anything. Yeah, yeah, and look, unfortunately, the motor car is one that is creating a lot of accidents. And again, maybe back to education, and and you know, I think it's a good thing. That, and and the the medicals. Would be would be what we're looking at as well. Mm-hmm. I'm in favour mm-hmm. of that. Like, you know? well, why do you like in Italy? And we had a caller earlier on said that it's 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 every five years. I think she said or up to your fifties, and then it's every three years and two years. It works because you just get your eyesight checked and just make sure that everything's okay with you. You have to do you have to do that every so often, and you have to, what what does the test involve that you have to do every year? It's called the CPC, basically, that I'm competent and certified and, and competent uh, in what I know in relation to eco-driving would be one module, you know. The, the tachograph, obviously, trucks and buses have tachographs in them that, so that they watch everything we do. You can only drive for a certain amount of hours per day. After four and a half hours of driving, you have to take a 45-minute break. You can drive for another 45 uh, or four, four and a half hours. Um, and then you can take another 45 and drive for an hour and you're done then for the day. So there's a lot of laws with truck drivers and bus drivers. Mm. Um, bus could be different to truck as well because if they're going over to the six counties above Northern Ireland, yeah. they'd have different rules then there. So you're going out of the jurisdiction and, and whatnot. Like, you know, so, right. um, but I am in favour of you know kind of mandatory health checks it's good. Yeah. Uh, it's good. I, I, what, about, I, what about skills checks? Because like you're tested every year, you mm. you you get your license here at nineteen twenty, and mm. no one will ever ask you again. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Exactly, exactly. And I just think you know maybe you know if you do get a certain amount of penalty points, do you go back and you you know if you're off the road, you have to reset your test. I think, but. Um, <sighs> 
I suppose in, in a way it's it's good to be retort because you know you get into everybody have their own habits of driving yeah. you know well the point has always been made or often been made indeed that those of us who are considered such experienced drivers if we sat the actual driving test in the morning the chances are we possibly wouldn't pass we'll fail. Yeah, and look, I, I, I'd be probably guilty of that as well. I'm driving trucks for 25 years, you know, um, and I do, I, I, you know, you pick up the, these kind of habits, like, mm. you know, and, well, look, cars, cars, no, I think insurance companies have it too. If you don't touch your phone, you know, that's, you know, you you get you build up time, is that with Alliance or something like that? That's or one or two or schemes like. out there, yeah, for, for, for that. There's a lot to unpick in it. And on this uh, national slowdown day, it's appropriate we spent most of the morning talking about road safety. And it's just so many different angles to it. Kenneth, thank you. And thank you in particular to Wilbur Toomey, who started the conversation for us this morning, uh, just after nine, and we will uh, podcast that. She was talking about this proposal. It's only a proposal in the EU, that we'd all have to have a mekel every 15 years. Elber says, 15 years, my hat. It should be at least every five years. That's where our conversation started. It's gone in many different directions. The word is your chance to win free money. On Cork's 96 FM. Right, this one is giving us nightmares. We're waking up in the middle of the night screaming, what is the dog's name? What is it like? What is the dog's name? Please, somebody tell us. I met the coolest dog, the dog's name. It's <laughs> my mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. Helen Dunley from Cooney, I know you'd like to go to Greece out of Cork Airport. Oh, we'd that'd like, be fabulous, Peter. We'd like to throw 5,250 euro your way to help you do that. You'd have a whole holiday out of it. Oh, my God. That's I know. fantastic. It's some money, <laughs> isn't it? Some money. All right. Yeah. Any, now, I have no idea what this is myself. So when you tell me, I'll ask the big machine in front of me. What is okay. your word? What is the word? Well, I thought I heard it. So I do think it's Dennis. You think it might be Dennis? Yes. Will we ask the machine, is the dog's name, is it Dennis the dog? Unfortunately not, Helen. Thank you. What? Well, if you do, you do. If you, you, can go, you can go to Greece out of out of Cork this this summer anyway, which is great. They're off to Rhodes. Thank you, Helen. So Simon has five thousand five hundred euro to give away sometime between twelve and four this afternoon. He'd play it just after two. Five and a half thousand euro. What is the dog's name? Would someone please put us all out of our misery and guess the dog's name? That's it for today. Program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. All of your podcasts up ASAP, and we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Cork's Gold Emerald Award winning sports show. Right, right here. The score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix on all the latest sport as we focus on Cork versus Kildare in the National Football League and Cork City and Cove Ramblers are back in League of Ireland action. We'll have all the post-match. Right here, right now, now.
Join Trevor Welch for The Soar this Sunday from 2pm with Versus Bookmakers of Winthrop Street where no team, no dream guides every play. See versusbet.ie On Cork's 96FM When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.